Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. shot that was. Oh. <laughs> the things you say to get taken out of context. I was misquoted. <laughs> they knew what I meant. They knew what I meant. It's uh-huh, a shocking uh-huh. pod shock comment. Yeah. Have we named dropped enough? I don't know. <laughs> also, joining us on audio on the telefono it's Mr. Cuddle again. Greetings, Hello. everyone. Oh, wait, wait. What was that, Siri? You want to say hi to Ian? You think he's sexy? Siri? <laughs> Come on, girl. Now, 
don't 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 be like that. It's gone shy. Uh, All the girls do that with Ian. Siri says hi, everybody. Hi, Siri. Hi, Ian. Yeah, your Siri talk to my Siri because my Siri is a, a British male. Can I can I watch? <laughs> I call it. I I, I I stop calling it Siri. I just call it Barrowman. <clears throat> oh, you should have called it. But I'm Bob. Bob. Oh, we're not yet boys, are we, everybody? <laughs> By the way, Darth, I've come to the dark side. They have my soul now. Apple has my soul. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yes. We also have cookies. Mm. No, chocolate cookies, of course. <laughs> we can bring you back to the little, to the light side. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of halfway there. I've only got an iPhone. I have a PC. All right. Let's see who's joining us. Honda the Cone. Controls new agent training program section three point five. The Cone of Silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the Cone of Silence. What? Do not shout in the Cone of Silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And joining us under the cone is Jedi Justice and Cybob. Of course, our guests 10 and 11 are in there as well. All right, there's only one more person to introduce from the collective. And that's our very own Toby Monkey. It's news time. Go Tuffy Monkey go! Go Tuffy Monkey go! Go Tuffy Monkey go! Oh, go, 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 Typing Monkey go! <laughs> there you go. I was late. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's all right. Okay. All right, uh, first up with news, it's a video, Mr. Davey. Okay, uh, well, only one real main piece of news, but uh, a few other things to mention. It's uh, time to mention uh, one of the younger actors that uh, has been in Doctor Who. Uh, it's mentioned that it's uh, Peter Davidson's uh, birthday today, and he's a young, well, I consider him young, a young 63 today. Uh, so um, happy birthday to uh, Peter Davidson. And, uh, of course, who played Doctor, the Doctor. No points for guessing which one. I think we all know it was number five, but there you go. Uh, some little pieces of news I just wanted, well, little items I just wanted to mention, all, all from my Sunday paper. Uh, just bear with me very quickly. Just uh, for those fans of uh, Game of Thrones, uh, perhaps a little uh, bit annoying. Uh, uh, I won't give his full name. He might get some naughty Twitters directed in his way. But Matthew does the sort of uh, television features in the Sunday Times. Uh, had to watch, and he uses that word, had to watch the first three episodes of the new series of Game of Thrones. And let's keep it very brief. Um, he says it's, um, aside from the plot, which is Shakespeare for dummies by dummies, let's get to the acting. I honestly thought I'd be given a spoof of the Game of Thrones instead of the thing itself. The actors looked horribly serious when saying things like, the war is over, the king is safe, or worse, you can't tame dragons. But it was obvious that they were really thinking, heck, I hope my mum doesn't watch this. 
If it had been a comedy, it would have been brilliant. Now, I do know we do have some Game of Thrones fans in the room, so those are not my opinions. I'm just reading those. Um, also, there's um, a little bit of an item about um, Martin Freeman, who's uh, now starring in the uh, the TV uh, remake uh, based on Fargo, and uh, he seems to be getting good reviews from that. won't read anything more about that, but that's... Um, he seems to be getting some good reviews. Very briefly, one more thing, and that is uh, a theatre. I wish I was, uh, and this is great for somebody like Ken, it would be if you could get to it. If you get to the theatre in the UK, Kerry Mulligan, Mill Nye, Bathroom, Matthew Beard, uh, on stage in uh, a play called Skylight by David Hare. But Kerry uh, Mulligan and Mill Nye together. Uh, on the stage. It sounds absolutely brilliant. That's from June 6th to 23rd of August. And one more thing. Well, Perry's not here, but there are other people who like these things. Um, some uh, cherry tree, cherry tree uh, stones that were taken aboard the uh, the space station for about four months. Uh, they're behaving rather strangely. Now they've been planted. Trees that usually take 12, months, 12 years to come to maturity have been flowering after only four or five years. So um, there's a little bit of delight there. What's going on? The tranquil delights of Japan's cherry blossom uh, have taken cosmic turns. Uh, an ancient temple where one tree grown from a cherry stone that was sent into space has bloomed six years before it was uh, due. Seeds from space, anyone? Ian. Obviously, it doesn't understand the gravity of the situation. <laughs> uh, Triffid in the hands with the crinoid in the pot. <laughs> there, was a there you go. That was Ken. As you're saying, I don't know, but I just saw Stacy last night. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, these seeds were up there for how long? Uh, about four months. It was actually a project to involve all the schools. Uh, because it was the, the most of the seeds had been sent to different schools, but um, one of them was taken back to the original place where this tree, uh, which is uh, it comes from, very difficult to to flower from. Um, just four years later, the tree's growth was defied all expectations. It soared to about 12 feet high by early April and produced 12 10 buds that opened into delicate flowers. Um, the, um, the the temple's bot- botanist, uh, a young 78-year-old Taco Yoshimori, planted one stone in a pot soil covered with sphagnum moss. So it just shows uh, affecting the seeds. Seeds of doom. Seeds in space. Space seed. Right, Mr. Randall Thor has some news. Yes, this past weekend had saw the Sci-Fi Scarborough Convention over in Scarborough, uh, uh, UK, and there were there was one panel in particular that saw Chris Berry, Danny John Jewell, and Robert Llewellyn, the stars of the uh, series Red Dwarf, and they confirmed that series eleven of Red Dwarf will be entering production. Within the next within within the next few months, and and is set to debut on the Dave Channel in the UK in autumn of next year, autumn 2015. 
So Red Dwarf 11 is confirmed for production. Whatever well, this kind of follows on from an, art- an article that was posted October of last year, where um, it was where writer Doug Naylor accidentally tweeted that he was working on that he was working on stuff, but uh, he then had to redact and say, "There's nothing going on. Don't look over here. Hey, look over there. There's stuff going on over there." But now it's been confirmed. Red Dwarf Series 11. Excellent. I think. Let's have to rewatch the last series because I only watched it once. It's it's good to have it, but it, I don't think it's anywhere as good as it used to be. But hey, that's just me. That's just me. My own opinion. Right. Um. I guess me next, right? Yes. Um. I got a little bit of uh, casting news about Doctor Who. Uh. So for those of you who don't wish to know, um, if you want to hang back for about a minute. And um, while I announce whatever it is, and uh, then uh, for those of you who are in the room at the moment, uh, we'll put in the text chat when I'm done talking about it. But uh, here goes. Uh, actually, here goes. Spoiler alert. All right. Casting news for Doctor Who has been announced that Ben Miller has uh, joined the cast lineup uh, for the next series of Doctor Who. Uh, the actor said, uh, as a committed Whovian, I cannot believe my luck joining the 12th Doctor for his inaugural adventures. My only worry is that they'll ask me to leave the set when I'm not filming. <laughs> uh, executive producer and lead writer uh, Matt, uh, Stephen Moffat observed, uh, Mark Gattis has written us up a storming villain for uh, his new episode. And with Capaldi and the TARDIS, we knew we needed somebody uh, special to send everybody behind the sofa. And quite frankly, it's about time Ben Miller was in Doctor Who. So there you go. Safe now? Over. Safe. Yes, safe. (laughs) Don't cards have spoilers. Oh, dear, dear, dear. So anyway, yes, that's, that's that news. Um... Thanks to uh, Doctor Who News uh, .net, where we steal all of the best news from, um, for uh, some interesting uh, real-world stuff. Uh, new police box was um, unveiled in uh, Boscombe. Um, for those of you who may have been following this or not, uh, they've actually been posting about this for the past, I think, about six months of uh, the manufacture of this actual uh, to-be-used-by-the-police police box. Um, and it was unveiled with uh, Daleks present and lots of kids and uh, smoke and uh, all sorts of stuff. So uh, go ahead and check out the pictures of that. It's awfully awfully nice looking uh, police box. Uh, nice and shiny. Uh, it's all I think it's uh, solid metal police box. So good stuff. Uh, life imitating uh, art, imitating life, imitating art. Uh, wherever I'm getting lost now. Wibbly wobbly, Tommy Wimey. <laughs> At least you don't have to pay any copyright since it was a police box in the first place. Right. Or do they? I don't know. Because it doesn't belong to the BBC now. Uh, uh, it's all very difficult. But anyway, uh, that's that. And I think that about, unless anybody else has got any last-minute news, that about wraps it up for news. Right. Well, as I talked about, uh, this isn't news, this is just a follow-up to something I mentioned last week. Um, Orlando Nerdfest is happening August 7th through 11th uh, of this year at the Orlando Airport Marriott 
Um, and uh, I could go on at length telling you all about it, but I'll um, I'll, I'll actually play a, a sound clip from their uh, from their website, which they've allowed me to air um, as part of a commercial, and uh, just you know to inform you a lot better. Here it is. I'll stop talking now. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Vern with SciFried, Nerdy FM, and the Orlando NerdFest. I'm here today to tell you all about our festival. The Orlando NerdFest is an unprecedented unification of the nerd community in and around Orlando to further the exposure of the nerd music genre. It all begins August 7th with our Nerdcore Showcase featuring Scrub Club's Monster Set. We'll have free entertainment all day from many great nerdy hip-hop masters while you pick up your passes and get checked in. Then on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the main stages of Orlando NerdFest blow open, and we're featuring Final Fantasy composer Nobu Uematsu and his Earthbound Papas, and Blizzard composer Jason Hayes and Critical Hit. We also have iGeneration superstar MC Lars, Seattle's finest nerd rockers Kirby Crackle, and if you're looking for snarky, geeky sisters, you can enjoy the sweet sounds of the double clicks. The sick passenger Schaefer the Dark Lord is with us, and the space metal opera of Urizen. We have the Megas, MC Oh My, former Fat Boys. From the Fump, we have the great Luke Ski and Devo Spice. DJ Robo Rob, Metroid Metal, 8-Bit Disaster, Descendants of Erdrich, Those Who Fight, Mark with a C, Random Encounter, Sci Fried, My Parents' Favorite Music, Dr. Awkward, Killer Robots, and more to be announced soon. The official fifth day of Orlando NerdFest is the day after show at the Geek Easy inside a comic shop. That will feature Word Burglar, Whitey Cracker, D&D Sluggers, and more of your favorites. All this is taking place August 7th through 11th, 2014. Be sure you like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Orlando NerdFest. And for more information on the event and to keep up with artist announcements, check us out at OrlandoNerdFest.com where you can get your tickets for the weekend and find out more about the special hotel rates we have for you. It's a five-day celebration of nerd music, and you're going to want to be there. August 7th through the 11th, 2014, in Orlando, Florida, at the Orlando Airport Marriott. We'll see you there. All righty. So, yeah, there's all the details. Um, my wife and I are uh, very seriously considering going. Um, also, we've made a, a, a suggestion of our own uh, for somebody that they might want to add to their lineup. Um, and so we have our fingers crossed. We've, uh, Of course, you've heard me go on about Steam Power Giraffe, and I thought, well, that'd be a great thing, but they are on the other side of the country, so we just got the fingers crossed. Uh, that's all. Um, but it's, uh, you know, when, when something like this is, you know, just a couple of hours from your doorstep, now you know, you want to check it out. So, uh, yeah, uh, if you are somewhere in Orlando or nearby, or this sounds something you might want to cross the country for, uh, go to orlandonerdfest.com, or you can check out their Facebook page, uh, facebook.com, Orlando Nerdfest. So there you go. There's that little ad over and done with. <laughs> <laughs> there was, I was trying to, if you heard papers roughly where I am, and, and I haven't found it, there was something in, again in my local news about an uh, American senator, was it? A, a congressman who, um, who's, who's come out but in, a, in a way that he's a, a nerd. Apparently uh, people were trying to dish him for his post because he dresses up um, in, like in flash, the flash outfit and things like that mm-hmm. uh, and goes to events um, 
and there's a strange word he used. It basically it's cosplayers who actually act out live, and I can't remember the name, a slusher or something. Um, I know that as LARPing, but it's la- exactly that's it. LARPing, like that's action it. It's a LARPer, and uh, apparently um, uh, his opponents were sort of trying to sort of. Uh, belittle him a little bit by by you know posting some of his old Facebook stuff that he was a LARPer. <laughs> All the nerds apparently in whichever state he's in have got behind him, and he, he's actually gathering a pace. And they're, they're saying, "Well, it proves he's human. He's one of us. Get voting for him." So again, I, if I could name him, I probably wouldn't name him because I don't want to be, be political or whatever. But it just shows the nerds are taking over the world. There you go. I was just trying to quickly find them, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's the thing is, and in, in, uh, uh, things like Orlando Nerdfest, I don't think something like that would have been possible, say, you know, uh, five, ten years ago. Uh, geek culture is really kind of caught on, I think, and uh, and you know, people are embracing it. And you know, to, for a um, group to bring all these bands to Orlando, um, it was just amazing. I mean, I think uh, my experience at uh, at uh, Megacon this year, with it growing to such an enormous size, really kind of shows that um, we're no longer kind of pigeonholed as being these you know geeks who get together in somebody's basement. We need a lot more room than a basement. We need an entire convention center floor, maybe two convention centers. Um, so yeah. Um, oh, by the way, the Republican candidate is uh, Jake Rush, and he's actually a, a, a representative from Florida. Oh, right. You found it. Well done. That was quick. Yep. Um, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that's news. <laughs> and a little commentary on the side. So, anyway, um, it's, it's, it's almost time to get down to our uh, main topic of the day. Uh, but if you want to become a part of the Colton Collective podcast, here's how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. And there you go. And speaking of uh, Steam Powered Giraffe. Hi, I'm Rabbit from Steam Powered Giraffe. And I'm the Spine from Steam Powered Giraffe. And you're listening to the Cultum Collective. Enjoy! Okay, Dave, was that enough time for the golf to be done? No? Dave, are you there? Yeah, I had to mute the commentary first. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was listening to, get... to you, Ian. I was listening I to you, Ian, sorry. I didn't want to tee you off or anything. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant. Come on, Jimenez. <laughs> he's 50, and he could win. You never know. Oh, we've got a topic to do. There yeah, you go. the main topic. Hello, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, welcome to uh, episode 251. Uh, of uh, Colton Collective Podcast, and uh, it's uh, the title. It's one of our uh, sort of uh, rather specific ones that's not quite on tune. 
it is uh, stated as being the 25 most expensive bad sci-fi movies ever made. But we're actually talking uh, about movies, and you can certainly suggest ones that you think are badly made, but we're basically talking about movies that flopped uh, in some sense or have got a very low rated from uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So we've got the same chart that's uh, shown on two pages. Uh, one page, uh, there are uh, comments below, so you can check that out. Remember, if you use Chat Grabber, uh, find Chat Grabber on Google, put in the call ID uh, 54821 and episode 251, those listening later, and you can find the links. But um, uh, the first link is visual.ly forward slash top dash 25 dash most expensive bad sci-fi movies ever made with the dash in between each letter. And the other one is geekytyrant.com forward slash news forward slash 2011 forward slash 8 forward slash 22 forward slash again 25 most expensive bad sci-fi movies ever made. And this is a graphic that we're using and I have put some other uh, pages into the other room. Uh, I don't know whether we'll be able to actually go through these as a sort of set list because there's lots of different disparate places where we can find this information. Uh, but I'm going to start us off with uh, w one of the clips um, of one of the lowest ratings that um, is seen here. And that is um, uh, the lowest one, as I can see it, on this graph, which is Zoom, a movie from uh, 2006, which only got 3% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So here's a little clip and it'll give time for people to peruse the list. Come on, go already! They may look like ordinary kids. It's a kitty! Give it here, howdy do. Oh, no, dude, I love that outfit. Just trying to live ordinary lives. Freak. Perhaps you'd like to finish Newton's equation? But what makes them different? We've been tracking an object that seems to be moving towards our planet. I'm reactivating the Zenith program. We'll make them heroes. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I'm trying to mute myself and cough at the same time. We've got a few. Oh, a few people with uh, bad throats. I think Jeff's passed that one on to me. Uh, if you look at the Greek Tyrant uh, page, there's also another graphic that uh, chap called Matt has put up there, which uh, he says, I took the numbers and reworked the chart using the rating percentage to show how much the movie earned or wasted of their budget. So, um, again, we've only got a few people on audio, so we're not going to go into a strict rotation. Um, how would people like to proceed here? Would you like to proceed talking about movies as we mentioned them from the list and let people jump in? Or do you want to uh, ask people to uh, recommend ones that they nominate? Well, I think we go through the list first um, because yeah, it's not, very, uh, not a very long list. Excuse um, me? And then if anybody else has got something they want to throw it. Sorry, what, what was that, Ken? Uh, please, could you put the post in again? I got knocked off. Very sorry. Not a problem. You could do the link. Will do. I'm just having a little bit of a, a, a 
trouble with my voice at the moment, Ian. No. You wouldn't care to go through that list, would you? Right. Thank you. Um, not a problem. Now, I'm doing it based on, on, on the uh, the order of the list here on uh, on the Visually site. Uh, I guess coming in, I don't even know how this is rated. Basically, with a budget of uh, 15 million, uh, Superman: The Quest for Peace from 1987 uh, comes in with a. Um, actually, I'm going to bring Darth in to explain uh, what the percentage is on this. Sorry, I heard my name used in vain. What what the hell's going on, man? <laughs> uh, well, you're you're a big fan of the uh, the rotten uh, of Rotten Tomatoes, so if you could explain the the percentage and how that's worked out on Rotten Tomatoes, that'd be really cool. Just what the just what the oh, okay. So a um, basically anything that's beneath sixty five percent is not fresh. Um, it's, it's well, sort of considered to be not good. Uh, though because there's everything from zero to sixty five in one category, that makes that highly variable. I mean, there's there's clearly a big difference between something that's a sixty and something that's a two. Um, but uh, Rotten Tomatoes doesn't really make that much of a distinction between uh, bad and really bad. Um, and then there's a distinction um, like at 65, you're, you're certified fresh, um, but that's not the highest rating. The highest rating is really everything that's above um, 75 and then you become well. See, I'm sorry, I'm confusing. I'm, wow, I'm doing a terrible job of this. Sorry. At 65, you're fresh. At 75%, you're certified fresh. So that's like really good. So there's really good, and then there's this little 10 point range of uh, kind of good, but not as good as it could be. So you might think of 75 and above as being like you went to the farmer's market, you got a really good tomato. 65, 75, you got like a red one at your local supermarket, but probably it has some artificial chemicals on it. And then everything below that is just everything below that, uh, which is kind of not useful. But, um, you know, it's it, the, the real useful thing is go see movies that are 75% above and better at the movie theater. Everything that's 65, 75, kind of... Yeah, you might think about uh, getting that on DVD. Everything below that, you know, takes chances. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, you do a hell of a lot better than I would have. I would just, I'm denied through it, so. <laughs> All right. Superman, the quest, quest for Peace came in at, at 10%. So, yeah, I'm I'm thinking you need to kind of clean out your crisper drawer at that point. Um, so, bad, bad. any lovers of uh, Superman, the Quest for peace. Would want to have a piece of this. Need to mute, Ken. Right. Right. Next on the list is uh, the aforementioned Zoom, uh, spending thirty-five million dollars on the movie, and only having three percent. Uh, I mean, I don't know who all reviews the movies on on Rotten Tomatoes and and. But it's a kids' movie, and I think it's actually kind of a cute kids' movie. I mean, would I, you know, sit down and watch it 
day after day. No, no, unless my son wanted to. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's three percent. Uh, it, it came out at the same time as, as a bunch of uh, there was another one called uh, kind of like a superhero high school type thing there were two movies that came out uh, pretty much around the same time and one of them was Zoom um, and to be honest I thought it was uh, a nice enough movie but I don't know if it was 35 million dollars worth so yeah anybody else on Zoom? Okay, moving on to uh, my danger piece, Howard the Duck. And Dave, I believe we have a clip. We do indeed. Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching. Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything, except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. You do know why you were sent to me? Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. To redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. Until he discovers just who he really is. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man. Howard the duck. Trapped in a world he never made. Coming from George Lucas, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production. Well, since we have nobody to talk good about Howard the Duck, I think we ought to move on, Ian. <laughs> I love Howard the Duck. I love me some ducks. I don't care. It's fantastic. It's a guilty pleasure. Um, and so is uh, a certain actress uh, on the bed in, her, in nothing but panties and a, a nice little crop top. <clears throat> Anyway, that's not enough to, to validate it, is it? No. I like how the duck is. It's fun and entertaining, and if you don't think about it too hard, it's it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, we're, we're warming to it. I mean, I think this is like the... I don't know what the other topics were, but this is like the fifth time it's come up on this show. <laughs> I have to keep defending it. <clears throat> Defend the honor of, of the duck. Right, Dave, you want to take the next one? Or the next one? Uh, yes, uh, the next one is uh, at 7%, and we're going down them. They're not, they're not in order because, uh, as I said, that uh, as Darth uh, so ably said for us, that um, although there's the percentage of uh, freshness there, there's also the, they're also graded on this list in terms of um, uh, the cost as well. So the next one is uh, Babylon AD from 2008, which actually scores worse than... Howard the Duck at seven percent. Not, I must admit, uh, a film I'm not familiar with. That's a, that's a moment for people to jump in. 
Hello? Nobody's jumping. Yeah. Hello? No jumpers. Yeah. I, okay. All right. This movie at all. Yeah. Well, I'm sure most people will remember the uh, film uh, Rollerball at 2002. That, I thought it came out a lot earlier than that. Is that a remake? I thought Rollerball came out in the 1980s. But uh, the next one is at 2002 Rollerball uh, with uh, 3%. Um, I sh- did you actually read out how much the film cost as well, Ian, or not? Yes, I did. Could I interject? Okay. Please do, because I'm struggling at the moment. On, on, on Howard the Duck, um, although not my favorite film, and boy, I was looking forward to it, because I love the, the Steve Gerber comic book, first with the art by Val Myrick and then uh, Gene Colan. It was one of my favorite comic books. Uh, around that great time of the 70s when Tomb of Dracula and Kill Raven and Master of Kung Fu and Black Panther was coming out from Marvel. Just exceptional work uh, from Steve Gerber, um, always changing format every week, and it was a wonderful existential, I would say, masterpiece. The film captures none of it. I always thought that Howard should have been a pint-sized version of Harlan Ellison. Uh animated in, in the nature of perhaps Who Frames Roger Rabbit or done flawlessly. I thought the, interject, the interaction was a strange little person. It looked like what it was, a guy in a suit. I thought Lee Thompson was good. I, uh, it's really a fun movie when it gets into the whole Cthulhu mythos type stuff nearing the end. But it's, it's pretty pedestrian and embarrassing, I think, for the most part, it's until you turn your mind on off and Leah Thompson is gorgeous. I, I like when she's cuddling with Ducky. I watch that scene every time. I actually wait for it. Smack me in the face and call me Kenny. But, um, you know, it just didn't make it. Some, some fun stuff. I love in the sushi bar when the southern uh, typing, sushi. I thought that was really cute. But all in all, it does not come up to the attitude necessary for the satire of the comic. And that, those are my thoughts on it. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, yes, and Rick Wall, thank you, Rick Wall has just joined us. Um, the it is a remake. Um, yeah, the original, I'm not sure film, the original film was 1975. That sounds more like it. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the original, but I haven't seen the remake, so I don't know how the two compare. Hopefully, if uh, Rick Wall wants to come on audio, he may. Jeff? I don't know much about the remake, so I really can't comment. James Kahn, I remember, being in the original one, I think. Uh, Let me have a look. The Rollerball one is is starring Chris Klein, Gene Reno, LLJ, uh, Cool J, Rebecca Roman, um, and Navi Andrews is that. And uh, Rick's saying he's not coming on audio at the moment. He's got uh, Daphne, his dog, uh, making noises. So uh, apologies for that. Um, Next one we've got is Soldier from 1998. Gets only 10% on the uh, 
Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and uh, that was £75 million pounds, uh, to uh, produce. Again, not one I've heard of. The, believe me, there are a lot of familiar names on this list, but uh, obviously these ones that weren't successful, that did get a low rating, are probably by that very uh, reason not as well known, and therefore with the number of people in the room, uh, they either haven't seen them or they don't feel they merit commenting on them. It's uh, so, just, just for everybody's edification in case nobody in the room knows. Um, it's a, a Kurt Russell movie starring Jason Scott Lee, uh, Connie Nielsen, Sean Pertwee, uh, and Jason Isaacs. Uh, and it's written, uh, it's based on a story by Harlan Ellison. A soldier okay. dumped on a waste disposal planet and lives among the community of crash survivors on the planet and takes it upon himself to defend his new home. Okay, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next one on this list um, is um, Timeline, which I have seen, and that is uh, from 2003. Gets 12% on Rotten Green Tomatoes. It uh, cost $80 million, And... Um, this, I I, th- I quite liked it. It was a little bit silly, but um, may, people may remember it because Billy Connolly was in it. Uh, Paul Walker, Francis O'Connor, Jared Butler uh, of Sparta fame and other things. Uh, he was into that. And it's about a, a group of archaeologists and they, they end up going back in time uh, and they actually run across... Um, I think Billy Connolly has is, is, is been in the past for longer than they have. Um, yeah, I think he goes after his father, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Oh, no, they, they, they use this basic... Right. Yeah, they have a, a sort of a time machine effect. Actually, right. I thought that was quite good. Um, but um, to get only 12%, um, uh, some people might argue it probably... I think, actually, when I think about it, I think I seem to remember this did better on DVD than it had it in the movies. Uh, and that may happen to quite a few times. I think that Zoom that you were talking about, Ian, basically went 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 after a couple of weeks straight. Well, not straight to DVD, but uh, that's where it spent most of its time. Right. Okay. Right. We will get some that I've got. Yeah. Um, do you want to take that? Uh, we will. Uh, we have got clips of um, uh, others, but uh, not the next one. The next one is The Postman. Uh, uh, with a 10% rating, spending $80 million. Ooh. somebody spend $80 million on me? I'll deliver any letter you want. <laughs> I, I actually like this one. The trouble with it, if I remember, was it's quite long. And looking at the wiki page, uh, 177 minutes came out in uh, uh, Christmas uh, 1997. And uh, Kevin Costner film, um, uh, based on a book, and I've read the book uh, by David Brin. Uh, I really enjoyed reading the book. I think I, re- I read that, um, I think, before. Um, I think the book came independently. I don't think it was based on the actual story of the script. Uh, but that uh, is a post-apocalyptic world. And uh, Kevin Costner is a bit of a drifter. And... Um, one night he he, he comes across um, I think it's a crashed aircraft 
uh, and it's sort of protection from the elements that is in there. There's a there's the skull of the uh, the the pilot or whatever, and it's a a male uh, plane, and he discovers this bag of undelivered mail. So he uh, at first it's just a ruse to get him in because uh, think of Mad Max. A lot of the actual small collections of people and uh, villages that are around they're all barricaded in sort of wooden uh, village uh, campuses. Uh, and they view visitors with great suspicion that they're going to try and steal stuff. Uh, so he, I think he finds an old pony or something, and he wanders up, and um, he claims that um, you know the government's trying to get the, the country back on its feet, and the first thing they've done is like the Pony Express. They're, they're, they're trying to get uh, you know in touch with uh, communities, and it's his job to deliver the mail, and if they've got any mail, and they, you know, he's quite willing to wait there for a few days while they feed him and this, that, and the other, and then they can write their letters because they've never written any letters, thinking there was no way to get them delivered. Then he would go on to the next town, and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's how, that's how the story develops. It's a little bit long-winded, but if you're a keen sci-fi person, you may have thought it's a little bit without thrills. Um, a little bit reminiscent of one of the other films we were talking about, uh, a Kevin Costner movie. And it's amazing how many science fiction movies he's been in, by the way. Uh, are there any other fans of The Postman? Apparently not. Okay, uh, next one is... Um, the Sound of Thunder, this only gets uh, from 2005, only gets 6% from Rotten Tomatoes cost $80 million again to produce um, so did half as well as the Postman in that sense uh, I'm not familiar with Sound of Thunder, not to be mixed up with Days of Thunder the Racing one No, nope. it says uh, what in the movie database says uh, when a hunter is sent back to prehistoric the prehistoric area, error runs off uh, the path. Uh, he must not leave. He causes a chain reaction that alters history in a disastrous way. And it's uh, based off of a short story uh, written by Ray Bradbury. There's that whole like butterfly effect. It's actually on the on the front of it. They've got a hand and a butterfly. Okay, well, listen, folks, we are going to move on, and uh, I think uh, I think uh, Mike's just lost his bet with you, Ian. <laughs> so he owes you he owes you a bottle of wine. I think that was what the bet was, wasn't it? Wasn't it a bottle of wine? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, bottle of wine, a case of wine, two cases of wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, coming right. up um, next one is. Um, the Red Planet uh, from 2000 gets 13 percent on uh, this list. Cost a hundred million dollars to make, and I suppose what we should have done and read is um, how much it took at the box office. Because um, looking at this one, it only took 33 million dollars at the box office. Let me just go back to um, the Postman. That cost 80 million dollars to make, only took under 18 million dollars. Uh, Babylon. Uh, AD that we mentioned, that cost $70 million to make. Uh, oh, that took $72 million, so that's not quite so bad. Howard the Duck, 
The budget was seven, uh, 37 million and it took 38 million. So um, we'll have to try and those that we've got links for Ian. I don't know if you've still got the links that you talked about open, but um, if you can compare what they cost to what they made, that might help. Right. Let's see, uh, Red Planet. Uh, yeah, I, I, think yeah I, don't re- I think I remember seeing this. It wasn't a terrible movie, but of course when you're going to do set something on, you know, like Mars, you're going to have a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, big sci-fi budget. Um, I'm trying to think if this is the one that had... Uh, um, the very beginning, one of the... Uh, they're, they're trying to land on Mars or something, and... and uh, I don't think of the actor's name, but I uh, can't think of it. But one of, the, one of them ends up, like, dying in, you know, on re-entry, in, in the entry on, on, onto Mars, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, and I mean, uh, as pointed, great, so it kind of made a huge impact. Yeah, I think uh, as uh, as Darth points out here um, in in the text, we should go quickly through these lists and um, and then we'll get to the ones that actually people uh, do uh, want to highlight. We don't want to just have a list, so I, I'm going to quickly zoom through these um, and then ask people if they want to comment on any one of them. I think Ian. Uh, because we don't want people... Okay, so uh, coming next, um, it, well, that was Red Planet. Actually, about the next one is Battlefield Earth, so we'll play a little uh, uh, clip of uh, that one, if we may, which is uh, somewhere down here in my list, I think. Here we go. John Travolta one uh, got the connections with uh, well it's L. Ron Hubbard that uh, wrote the story and uh, famously that flopped um, let me just uh, only gets 2% came out in 2000 uh, cost 103 million to make I thought it cost actually more than that uh, then the next one they've got uh, strangely well not strangely because these are the flops Perhaps uh, the weakest of the Matrix films, Matrix Revolutions, from 2003, got 36%, uh, cost $110 million, uh to do. Uh, if anybody wants to actually jump in as I name these, please do, but we'll go to people's choices uh, after that. Because as well, I, said, I'll stop you right there. I'll stop you right here, because what? here we're getting into a dividing line on this list. Pretty much everything above this line... Um, 
are not just critical flops and therefore, you know, sort of low rated by Rotten Tomatoes, but they're also financial flops. Some of them dramatic financial flops. Howard the Duck is about the only one in, because I've just been doing some check-in. Howard the Duck is the only one that we've mentioned to this point that actually turned a profit and it was only a million. And that's worldwide, I'm pretty sure. Um, but um, everything else was, act, you know, a straight up failure in every regard. But when you, when you hit Matrix Revolutions, most of what happens after this point is um, really not bad financially. I mean, you get you get a return of investment. Matrix Revolution, yeah, it cost 150 million. Yeah, it got bad ratings, but it still made. Four hundred twenty-seven million worldwide. I'll take that return on investment any day of the week. Mm, um, you know, so that's uh, bad is a relative term. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about making money, right? It's really not about telling a good story. We all know that. Um, you, you, what, what a studio does is they have these ones that aren't terribly great stories, and then with the massive profits that are generated there. In this case, that's what three hundred percent, almost three hundred percent profit. Um, you then make your little art house films, and those are the ones that are actually good drama, and that satisfies the people who care about good drama. I mean, that's what you do, right? Um, and and so in that regard, Matrix Revolution, absolute success. What Matrix Revolutions gives Warner Brothers uh, a needed shot in the arm in that in 2003, um, right at the end of the financial year, so they're just going happy about that. Um, so I wouldn't, I could, in no way with any kind of good contents, can I put Matrix Revolutions on this list of you know, most expensive bad. It's not even a most expensive movie. If you're making 300% return, or just about, if you're making anything over 200% return, it's no longer an expensive film. It just isn't because you made back way more than you put into it. So therefore, it's not expensive. You know? Yeah, I think uh, it just suffered a little bit in comparison to the uh, the rest of the trilogy, didn't it? Um, Although I'm not sure about Reloaded. What the thought was about Reloaded? Obviously, the first one. Uh, the reloaded one. Oh, the budget 127 million for that made 742 million. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, but we're not. I mean, Matrix Revolution is not that far behind Matrix. Matrix made 463 worldwide. Matrix Revolution made 427. And okay, you're talking about different years, so therefore, when you adjust for inflation, that that figure is a little bit worse. But it's still not. You know, it's not. Again, it's not that it lost money. It made a tremendous amount of money. Um, so a word of caution there as we look forward from this point on to think, are these really flops or are these just things that we don't like because they didn't do well? A good example that's coming up here, Dave, and I'll just say this preemptively, is um, Batman and Robin versus Catwoman. Okay, both those films people hate. Right. I mean, just I've never heard anybody even try to defend those films. Um, Batman and Robin, for all of its failings, was a great, well, not great. It was a good return on investment. It it made back a little less than a hundred percent. So that makes it in in Hollywood terms that makes it a failure, sort of. But in anybody else's world, real world calculations, if you do anything in life that makes $100 million, that's a good thing. And that's what Batman and Robin did. I, and it's unbelievable, if you think about it. Think about how bad that film is, how universally it's reviled. To think that it made $100 million is ridiculous, but it did. By contrast, Catwoman 
actually deserves the hatred that people dump on it because I think it it costs like eighty million or somewhere in there. Um, well, they're saying one hundred. I don't know where they're getting their numbers. One hundred thirty-five. That's a very different number than that's being reported by Box Office Mojo. So I don't know if that's the if he's somehow adjusted those costs for inflation or not. He might have. Uh, that's the only way I can think that you would get from eighty to one thirty-five. But whatever. Um, it, it definitely did not. It, it only made back like forty million worldwide. Forty million. That's a horrible, horrible movie, no matter how you look at it. Um, let, me, let me make sure I'm telling you the truth. I don't want to not tell you the truth. Nope, I am not telling you the truth. It made $82 million worldwide. It cost $100 million, so those numbers are not quite as far out. But still, I don't know where he's getting. 135 for Catwoman. That's a lot more than what uh, Box Office Mojo is saying. But anyway, let's say it costs $100 million and you get back 82 That's terrible because you lost money, right? I mean, you just did. Yeah. Uh, so, I think that's also, why. Sorry, you've not, the adventures of Pluto Nash that he skipped. Yeah, uh, no, no, I, I know I'm skipping because I'm, I'm trying to make oh, a point right. about how this goes. Um, and, and and so these are so what happens when you look at these when you're Warner Brothers or whatever, and you're trying to decide to make more of these. You can see why, even though Batman and Robin hated by everyone, why they nevertheless greenlit more Batman. Because they're still saying this is the weakest thing that we've done in this franchise, and it has still made us a hundred million dollars. We're going to make another one. Obviously, we're going to throw away this production team because we want it to be, you know, critically successful. We'd like for it to be even more commercially successful. So, you know, these guys who are doing Batman and Robin have done less for us than the people who made us Batman in you know whatever that was eighty six or seven or whatever that was. Um, but still. There's life in that property. Catwoman, by contrast, you know, it it doesn't even make its money back. So they're scratching their heads, thinking, "No, we're not we're not going to try to do Catwoman again because we've actually tarnished that brand." At this point, if you have failed to make your money back, you have just totally screwed that brand up. And so you're not trying Catwoman again, even though the, Catwoman is a story that basically writes itself, and you can totally see how it would work. Uh, they're not even trying it because it's just it's such a commercial flop. So you got when looking at this list, I think you've got to uh, not only look at how bad things were rated, and we're actually you know starting to get better, better ratings as we go through this list. But you have to look at how much money did it make back, and did it kill the franchise if there was a franchise involved um, to the point that. Or, or even the genre, not just the franchise, because a lot of these are one-off movies that don't have a franchise. But, you know, did it kill that type of film or not? Uh, and, you know, I think I think you see Batman and Robin, as much as we hate it, did not kill superhero films in general. And they certainly didn't kill Batman. Um, whereas Catwoman <laughs> um, definitely killed Catwoman. Definitely. To the point you're not even trying to go back on her. May may I interject uh, for a moment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is just exquisite and a thing of beauty and joy and masterful, and it makes that movie. Um, God, that Halle Berry film is such amazing garbage. It was 
stunning in its awfulness. And, you know, that it didn't kill the comic book, too, at the time. If they're trying to do a franchise, you know, you know, you put Batman and Robin and uh, Catwoman together, you have you have a, um, uh, a bad sandwich in the making, you know. But um, happily, Catwoman is uh, much improved in the new trilogy and looking fantastic and a really good right direction. I just want to add that to that. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for that. Okay. Yeah, I, I see your point. Yes, I, I was just for the the sake of the list, just to to mention that um, against that run of those latest ones coming up, the 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 next one after Matrix Revolutions, and I quite agree with you there. That does appear to be, uh, you know, uh, an aberration compared with the others here. Uh, the Adventures of Pluto Nash from. Uh, uh, 2002. That's the Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, the budget for that was 100 million. It gets a uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes ratings of 6%. It made 7 million only. 7 million only at the box office. Yeah, that was a real failure. I mean, that's that's what, in in percentage terms, that's one of the worst ones on the list. Even though, what does it get? A 6%. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's. That's worse even than which one was I looking at? Um, I think it's worse even than Zoom. No, that's three percent. No, no, but I mean in terms of its return on investment, it's worse because I think I think Zoom you can uh, say at least it, I think it had like ten percent timeline is ten percent return on investment. Well, no, that's not a return on investment. It's not ten percent return. It's ninety percent loss. What am I saying? Um, in other words, they only got back 10% of what it cost to make it. Um, and that's even, wow, that's worse. It's 93%. I mean, three, right. sorry, 7% return. That's not return. 7% back on what you put into it is is pretty awful. Yeah. 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 yeah it's about and it's, worth, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's worth pointing out, too, you know, I think, Oh no no no! I'm lying. I thought Pluto Nash was Disney. It's not. It's it's Warner Brothers. Never mind. So you um, can see though. Yeah. You can see though why, you know, Warner Brothers. I mean, Warner Brothers and Disney both put out enough pictures in the year that percentage wise, some of them have to really flop. And this is one of the Warner Brothers flops. But you can see how if you're Warner Brothers and you're, you're trying to figure out what to greenlight here, okay, fine. You're you're not happy with the reviews that Batman and Robin got, but. Man, you're taking that profit because you're going to put out a stinker like this occasionally, where you really don't get anything back at all. I mean, they basically just threw away that money, is what it amounts to. Mm. All right. Well, sorry about the delay in unmuting you. That's all right. And uh, no, I wasn't here the first. Uh, half hour or whatever it's been since Shado was here. That was Shado, not me. What was? The person that was here the first half hour listening to the year. Yeah. Um, And this all seems to be critical failures. Not, well, they're tying in the finances, but Basically, they seem to be critical failures because um, uh, Matrix uh, Revolution was critically 
panned, uh, but it did make money. Okay. Uh, is there any of the others wanted to comment on? Uh, have you got the list to hand? Can you see the list that we're using? Yes. Okay. Uh, not really. I uh, I just came on because um, uh, I, I got the world's worst sinus headache right at the moment. And I came on because my friend Shados was typing stuff and she felt like she was getting ignored and you said something about me not cutting on because of uh, uh, death, which is not true. It was because it was Shado and she doesn't, she's kind of shy. She doesn't want to. Uh, ah. Yeah. Uh, right. But she Thank was listening and she was trying to say a few things. Okay. Apologies. Yeah. It was just an assumption on my part that, uh, that was right. And welcome to NC Visitor, who uh, actually joined us on Talking uh, Twilight Zone uh, with Lynn uh, only yesterday. So you're most welcome here. Um, so uh, let me put the link in for for them as well. Um, Ian, we've uh, we've got as far as um, but I don't know whether you want to actually say anything more about Catwoman. Does anybody? Do you want to comment on Catwoman, Ian? No, I never saw it because I heard that I should probably not see it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, okay, Batman and Robin, well, bat nipples. That's all I can say, bat nipples. Okay, well, the the next one is um strange one, isn't it? Um, Mars Needs Mums. I think that's an animated one, isn't it? Yes, it is. From 2011. Have you got the link for that? Yeah, Mars Needs Moms, uh, 35% rating, uh, and spent $150 million. $150 million. This is such a... It, it's amazing, actually, how we kind of bandy around numbers and every now and then you stop and think, imagine what I could do with $150 million. John Berriman. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, but you've got to pay the directors, you've got to pay the <clears throat> lighting people, um, the PAs, okay, they don't get that much, but still they got to get paid. you got to pay the caterers, you've got to pay this, you've got to pay that. You've got to pay the director, they'll come cheap. So let's see, uh, Mars Needs Moms, uh, 2011 uh, 3D motion capture animated science fiction comedy um, from 2011. So, so if somebody's got anything to uh, to add on that one, then we will uh, move on to the next one on the list, which is, I forgot who was on the list. Van, Van Helsing. Uh, Van Helsing. Uh, you this yeah, uh, t yes, I have. 2004, 23%, $160 million, uh to uh, produce. And it took uh, $300, uh, $300 million rather. Uh, doubled its money almost at the box office. And um, this is Hugh Jackman prior to uh, uh, being Wolverine. Uh, I don't know whether it was actually his first outing in science fiction. Um, certainly... Uh, no, he was Wolverine could... before he was... Uh... 
in this, was he not? Yes, it was in this. I'm, I'm trying to remain which which character he played first. Uh, Wolverine. Wolverine first. X-Men came out first. Yeah, Wolverine was first. All right. Thank you, guys. X-Men came out first. Not Wolverine, right. X-Men. Well, um, Wolverine, yeah. But I meant the character. He played the character of Wolverine. Yes. But Wolverine the Origins came after this. Um... I mean, actually, if you want to do a superhero, he was in Oklahoma. You know, if you want to go before <laughs> that. <laughs> now, he was a big strapping superhero cowboy in that. He was indeed. Uh, I, I have a comment on Van Helsing. Um, the great idea by Stephen Summer, who did such a wonderful job um, doing the Mummy movies as a combination of universal horror and uh, meets Indiana Jones, uh, meets Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn uh, goofball comedy. So really nice job with those first two movies, and then getting away from it uh, when they had the Rock Scorpion King movies, he decided to take on a different aspect of franchise and pay homage to the universal horror films that he loved dearly. And uh, Hugh Jackman comes off as a more Captain Kronos vampire hunter, then Van Helsing, uh, with, mixed with James Bond with lots of gadgets, mixed with kind of a monster squad attitude of the Frankenstein monster, Dracula, um, Edward Hyde ripped out of the uh, pages of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, seems like they're copying that, filled with crossbows. The movie begins nicely with black and white homages to the Universal Horror Films, and it's really kind of quaint and nice. And then the movie, except for Kate Beckendale's Bustier, it just kind of falls apart later, um, which is kind of a mishmash of over-effects, computer graphics, and just kind of a convoluted story. It could have been a really lot of fun if you had the basic Van Helsing character, like Peter Cushing, mixed with monsters. But it became so inundated, and I think it was just kind of an utter kind of utter mess and it could have been really enchanting and it didn't do that well at box office and there were no uh, spin-offs and it di- and it died a very quick death okay time for me to embarrass myself i find it a guilty i find it a guilty pleasure can i agree with you on that too except for my annoyances i love <laughs> i love the take on dracula i think kind of his attitude toward the brides now, the vampire stuff, to me, seems right out of Tomb of Dracula. Don't you think so, Rick? Yeah, it reminds you of the Gene Colvin uh, Marvel Wolf and Tomb of Dracula? A little bit, especially with the uh, wives crawling up on ah. the ceiling and stuff like that. And, and I do think the scene with the cow is priceless. See, even in a movie I don't like, I'm going to find joy. There's a lot of joy in it. Like I said, Kate Beckinsdale is so gorgeous in everything she does. And I don't, I forget the actor's name. He was in 300, but he plays the bishop, the sidekick. Um, Richard Roxburgh? He, no, Roxburgh's the vampire. He's David Dracula. Well, well, He's also well, in Moulin Rouge. Will Kemp. Kevin Connor. Kemp. I think it was Kemp. Um, Will Kemp. He, he's really fun. You know, I mean, he's like, everything goes from the Vatican. They have all these people working there, and it's like Q. Uh, 
he's he's uh, Hugh Jackman is Bond, Van Helsing, and he's his Q, giving him the gas. Yeah. You know, so that's fun. But even though I think it's a bunch of malarkey, like Rick, I agree. There's joy in it. Thanks. Okay. Anybody else want to come in on that one? Okay, let's move on to uh, the Will Smith movie that comes up next, and that's um, Wild Wild West from uh, 1999, 21% on Rotten Tomatoes, and um, that uh, $170 costs. And um, let's have a look at the actual, on the wiki page I put in there, well, only just covered it really, 222, $222 million on that one. So uh, they got their money back, uh, but that was all. But it did spawn quite a lot of um, talk in the science fiction world, didn't it? This was the this was one of the um, the steampunk type of uh, sci-fi. So I think it did uh, give a little bit of renaissance to steampunk, doesn't it? Um... Not really, because steampunk is still around. Uh, I know it's still around, but it was it was you hear it mentioned a, mo- a lot more now than you used to fifteen years ago. I would have thought. Uh, yes and no. Anyway, um, I went to it expecting to see the fun, somewhat campy '60s TV show remade. And I came out very, very disappointed. I mean, yeah, there were some good bits. Klein did all right as as Artemis Gordon. But, I mean, they really got a little ridiculous. Actually, a lot ridiculous. And, uh, you know, uh, and... It was one of these things I was saying to myself, is this comedy? Is this real drama? Is this a spoof? What the heck is it? And it turned out to be none of them, or maybe all of them, but not very successful attempts at any of it. I like this movie. It's it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, we just come off with uh, Men in Black. So here we got Will Smith playing the, uh, the sci-fi hero again, which I'm always good with. And a giant spider in the third act. <laughs> uh, there's a, actually a joke on um, An Evening with Kevin Smith about that. Uh, John Peters, uh, served as producer um, for this movie. Uh, but he was... Uh, He'd been working on the, the uh, Superman movie, um, and, and Kevin Smith was to, to uh, do the treatment for it for uh, for John Peters. And I guess he went up to uh, his house and he told him that uh, three things about the, spy, uh, the Superman movie: uh, Superman would not wear the suit, he won't fly, and he wanted to have him fight a giant spider in the third act. And of course. Uh, Tim Burton was then brought on. Smith's script was tossed away. The film was never produced. And a year later, Wild Wild West came out. And what do we have? John Spider in the third act. (laughs) 
But yeah, I I mean I think it's a lot of fun. It's another one of those guilty pleasures. You know, you just sit back and there's a lot of good uh, good gags in there. Selma Hayek's in it. Hello. Um, yeah. I like the girl who played the uh, Japanese or Chinese girl. The one that died in Will Smith's arms. By Link as Miss East. Yes. Not too sure what else she's been in. Uh, let me put her, uh, a wiki link in the page. Mostly, I believe, Chinese stuff. Um, I don't think... I think this was like one of her first American... I think you're right. Uh, I'm looking to see what she's been in in since. Um, Jake 2.0, she was in. I'm thinking sci-fi ones, of course. She's been in more of that. She was in Sky Captain uh, and the World of Tomorrow. I wonder if that should be in the list. I don't remember her. Yeah, Mysterious Woman she was. Oh, okay. Um, what else was she in? Toxic. I'm not too sure what that was. Uh, oh, Crank, High Voltage. Uh, and I think uh, Darth's a fan of the the Crank movie. Uh, High Voltage. I think that's the, um, the that's Jason the Statham. Jason Statham, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. Uh, what else has she been in? Uh, Y50. 2002. And quite a few films that's coming out. Um, looks like she's into a lot of uh, horror ones as well. Uh, when the Devil Rides Out. Must be a remake of that coming in 2014. The Haunted Secret, Call Me King. So she's, uh, wow, she's in seven films in 2014. So you're going to um, see a lot of her. Kim, didn't you work on The Haunted Secret? I thought so. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Shado, also known as Kim, uh, uh, is a camera person, and she worked on that movie. The Haunted Secret? Uh-huh. Well, let's put the link in the room. We like, uh, like to have references to things like that. Um, ah, oh, no, silly me. Uh, I went to it, but the wiki hasn't got... Uh, well, tell, tell them to put... Um, an input into wiki page so we'll know a little bit more about it. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not how Wikipedia works, really. Wiki, she has do. nothing to do with the production. She's just a camera person. Wiki? You can write yeah. entries into wiki. I've written entries into wiki. Yeah, but not if you are a part of the topic. That's not really... Oh, right, right. Yeah, if you, I, I, I take that point. Yeah, yeah. Not if you're part of it. Exactly right. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that input. Let's move on. Uh, that was, uh, we were talking there about Wild Wild West. Next one is Waterworld. I've got a clip, but I won't play it all. Just a little bit. The sun. For millions of years, the source of life. But for one planet, the source of its demise. 
the temperatures climbed. The vast fields of ice at its poles melted, and the oceans rose. Centuries later, few people remain on this planet once called Earth. I'll stop it there. There's a lot of water. Think the flood. Think uh, this one could have started after the film called Flood. <laughs> um, Kevin Costner again. Um, so um, this is one where obviously he plays this itinerant that uh, sails on his boat, comes across this great uh, tanker that seems to have a um, uh, you know a crew of sort of pirates on board, played by a very very nasty uh, character, played by Dennis Hopper. Um, and he comes across a young uh, a woman and a young child, uh, and then without going to any too much spoiler territory, um, they come across uh, a tattoo, uh, which uh, has uh, a map of possibly the only land that's still on the Earth's surface, and that becomes sort of uh, the main plot of the story. I believe it's very expensive. Uh, let me see what it says here. Uh, 1995. Gets 42% on Rotten Tomatoes, cost 175 million. Now, if I'm right, I remember that there was a big, um, a big typhoon or something that came on in the area where they were filming, uh, and a lot of the set was destroyed, and they had to rebuild it. So the budget must have ballooned from what they expected. And I remember this comparing to some of the other films. It's not that. It's not the biggest film here by far. 175 million. And as I say, that does include that rebuilding, uh, and it took um, 264 million, but it was still classed as being a flop. I think they were expecting much greater things. Um, and again, uh, another well, it wasn't as long as the uh, the Postman, 135 minutes. I quite enjoyed it. I don't think I'd watch it again. And um, there's a real Easter egg in there for people. Uh, you get to see a little bit of. Uh, um, the hills are alive, don't you? You get a little bit of Julie Andrews in there, which is a, a very bizarre moment within the within the film. And uh, there's also uh, another character. Again, I think these were basically critical flops. Yeah. As well as somewhat um, 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 financial. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, most of the budgets are production budgets. They don't include the advertising budget. Nobody really puts the advertising budget in. So it could have been a flop because they put another $175 million into advertising, and what does that make it? It made nothing. Right. And, and why do they not mm. advertise it? Because they don't want to... They don't want to uh, to say that they've had to really promote it. They want to make it seem as though it was successful in its own right. No, no, no. I'm talking about, you know, like promotion for for people to see it. Right. You know, advertising, coming to you, you know, it's that, that advertising. Right. You know, like in TV and the magazines and newspapers and whatnot. Go see this movie. That's the advertising I'm talking about. Right. Because I, I know that when they were trying to bring films out, you know, uh, across America in two and a half thousand screens, uh, when they had to provide prints for that, that was um, 
a huge expense that could cost millions and millions of dollars for the uh, for the screen prints. That too, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, any, the, any, the weird, yeah, the weird thing. You know, I have to defend this thing because it, it did great things for our state. So I'm not going to walk away from it. Um, it, I mean, worldwide, it made about ninety million dollars. Uh, which you know, granted, given that it was at the time that it was released, the most expensive film ever made. That's not enough return. At least in the minds of you know the executives who made it, but to suggest that it was a flop, or an actual flop, what most people in their minds think of as a flop is wrong. Uh, it did make money. It did make you know whatever that would be. It's about just under seventy five. It makes about it made almost two hundred seventy five, so two sixty something like that. Um, that's not a. If it were any other film, that kind of return. That percentage return would be modest success. It wouldn't be classified as, you know, runaway failure, which is how this thing is typically remembered these days. And, and that's not an accurate impression of what it did. Now, granted, it was the reason it still has that that what's the right word toxicity, I suppose, around it, is because it didn't make its money back on the domestic side of the release. In other words, it required the the foreign release to make its money back. And it made twice as much money overseas as it did in the U.S. That's a very unusual pattern. Well, not completely unusual, but for a film starring Kevin Costner, that is an, a, grossly atypical. Um, because Kevin Costner is largely seen as, you know, kind of Mr. America, very much involved in American things, and so therefore he should have a domestic return that is something like a, a, you know, Bull Durham or whatever. And indeed, you know, he is current again. You know, he apparently is doing pretty well now. He's had three films out in the last, whatever, eight months, and, and most of those have done pretty well. Uh, but it's taken him a long way, a long time to kind of come back in a way from this water world disaster, but so much of it was not really their fault I mean, the you're, you're quite right to point out there was a hurricane. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a typhoon. I mean, and that's what oh, you're wrong with. It, it, it was a proper. Not that there's that much difference meteorologically, meteorologically between the two, but still, it destroyed the sort of. You know, if you know this film, you know that the, the sets aren't really that. I mean, it was strapped that's what's together, weren't we? Bamboo. Uh, yeah. You're talking, yeah, catamarans and whatever. Um, but still, there there are a couple of scenes where you know you do have a more elaborate set, and you have to start over again. And that's not that's not typical on a on a set. There there have been occasions where sets have been more or less destroyed. Am I thinking is it Star Trek Five? One of the Star Trek films had that happen to them, where the, the studio caught fire, which is really unusual. Um, oh yes, I remember that. Um, but it it still didn't play the I entire. Think it was four. Thing. I it might have say four. You're right. It might have been. I think it is a Nimoy one. But um, at, at any rate, it, it happens, but it's not at all typical that it happens. And when it happens and you're in the Pacific Ocean, you know, that's going to be a problem. Um, and And so for it to make a profit, for it to make about $90 million, and again, you know, 
Rick is quite right to point out that that doesn't include advertising, but it never includes advertising. So therefore, that's a constant that's not there, and I never have understood why it's not there because obviously expenses in advertising are expenses. So I don't know why those never get charged, but he's right to point out they don't. But still, to make ninety million dollars back is is good. I think. I mean, it's not it's not what they were hoping for. They were thinking it was going to launch, I don't know, maybe a franchise, maybe not, but still, you know, that it was going to do some – I'm sure they thought it should have at least made back its money domestically. And then you tack on the foreign and you're fine. Um, instead, it made half its money back domestically, tacked on the foreign, and therefore, you know, whatever it happened domestically becomes your profit, essentially. Um, and that's not what they wanted. But that's not the same thing as saying it was a flop. Um, the worst I think that you can say about the film and and be completely fair to it is that it didn't get good press on the actual content of the film at the time. But again, the press is tainted by the, the, the stories that were surrounding this thing. I mean, I remember just all the time there were these little updates. What the hell's happening in the water world? What's going on? It's crazy. What, you know, and you know, if I'm doing that, I, it's not even my job to be, you know, that into the entertainment press critics who naturally are reading all this, you know, behind the scenes stuff all the time as the normal course of their, you know, doing research and whatever. They're going to be tainted entirely by what they're seeing about the production story that's going on. And so they're going into it already with a skeptical mind. And, and, and then, and then they're going to, um, you know, formulate an opinion based upon that instead of just looking at the film and appreciating it on that level. Excuse me, Darth. It's, it's, it's much like the heaven's gate syndrome. You know, uh, the pre publicity was shading the, uh, critical, uh, Perceptions of the film more than the film itself. There was really some uh, adventurous, really kind of interesting things in this film. I mean, it's Mad Max combined with uh, Namor the Submariner. You know, it's it's not that bad a film. And like like you said, there is a pre-publicity angst is shading the actual product so that people expect it to be Waterworld equals bomb rather than the reality of the film itself. Yeah. Well, except with Heaven's Gate, though, uh, you don't have any profit. I mean, Heaven's Gate. Well, no, but that was that had a silver because of the reception. But people understand now the critical interest in uh, what Chimino did with that film. But no, that that film was dead in the water. Plus the edits. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. in my mind, though, I see those as significantly different because I don't think anybody is really going back to Waterworld and and really changing their opinions massively. But but certainly within the last couple of years or whatever, you've seen some movement on Heaven's Gate's, uh, for lack of a better term, appreciation index. Um, but that I guess my point is that the reporting at the time was wrong in two ways. It was wrong in that. Uh, it allowed critics to be um, hinted in a negative direction toward the film before they even saw it. And it, on the backside of it, that is on the you know post-release side of the press, it was widely reported incorrectly 
as being a financial failure, an actual failure. But Hollywood does this all the time. You know, their definition of what a failure is, uh, at least the Hollywood press, is unbelievably wrong on every level. I don't even understand it. It's so wrong because, and this has been a rant of mine on this show for a long time. If all you're doing is looking at what a film does in the United States, you are excluding the major revenue center of the world, which is the rest of the world. Um, and that's just wrong. You can't do that. Um, there, there are plenty of films which we think of today as being popular, sort of, um, and good films like, say, Wayne's World, which really have no particular translation outside the United States. Um, whereas there are plenty of films that Americans think of as bad, which do really well ar- around the world. And really, it's a foreign return of $250 million in 1995. That's pretty damn good. I mean, there are tons of films today. Give me an example. That's a better or in the same ballpark as the foreign return on Star Trek 2009. That's how good it is overseas. Um, so uh, somehow it, that, that part of the story never got reported in 1995. And, uh, you know, the the pitch was fouled by the other press, the, the, the expense side of it. Uh, and you know, the tension between Reynolds and, and, uh, who's the director and, and Costner and all that stuff. Did he, you know, what happened? Did he walk off? Did he get fired? What the hell happened on the big Island? Nobody knows. Um, to this day, I think nobody knows. Um, and you know, so you've got, you've got this negative press on the front side. You got this, uh, just no press on the backside about what really was going on with the film. And it, and it, I, I just feel sorry for this film just because I think it got, I don't think it's the greatest film in the world. I don't think it's even in the, you know, in the ballpark of being the greatest, but for the mid nineties, was it interesting? Was it something new? Was it something, um, was it a, an honest attempt to have a big summer blockbuster do something different? And I think the answer there is yes. And I think it deserved to be rewarded for uh, having done that. I think today the legacy of this film is that um, Hollywood is less likely to greenlight for the summer a film that is, you know, ambitious and uh, original. And, and Darth, and, Darth, if this film had come out before Road Warrior... Perhaps they would be talking about this in the same light. It has the same kind of impact, mythic quality, and and yet because of the bad press, people are losing sight from that. It has a very good female lead. It has kind of a witty child in it. Dennis Hopper is a really kind of swashbuckling, evil, piratical villain. And and Costner, like I said, he's he's you know, I would have had Lloyd Bridges as Prince Namor in the fifties. But he's playing the Submariner. That's who he is. It's a Marvel comic movie, if you want to look at that. And like Darth said, it's ambitious, and it, and it takes chances, and it's, it has that kind of great action Indiana Jones feeling, which people don't see. So, you know. Maybe I can shed a little bit of light on why stuff is considered flops and whatnot. Okay. Uh, I hope. Uh, 
I've noticed, and even in network TV, you have MBAs, okay? People who have absolutely no creativity in their bodies running the studios and uh, networks and whatnot. It's not like the good old, bad old days where you had Jack Warner, who was a very creative guy. All right, he might have been a little weird and nuts, but he was creative, Uh, you know, running the, the studios. I mean, hell, Bob Shapiro was a studio head at one point. A lawyer. It's a studio head? Why? No. Uh, You know, so, you know, because he's a bean counter, as we call it here in America. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You know, and that's basically what's wrong with Hollywood for the past, oh, I don't know, 30 years, maybe even more. Uh, but, um, you know, um, unfortunately, this is a business I've chosen, and I'm stuck in it now. So. <laughs> Give me a lot of it for me. Huh? Give me hellhound a biscuit for me. <sighs> okay. Uh, um, are you ready for no, us to I move on? To say yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, next one, and then I'll perhaps bring Ian back in in a minute. Uh, uh, we've got G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobra, 2009, gets 33%. Cost... Um, 175 million. Um, I think we've got uh, a link to that one here. Let me get that into the room fairly quickly, and then I will check uh, what that did. Of course, uh, famously, everybody here was excited because uh, certain Christopher Eccleston was uh, appearing in this, um, and it took a box office of just over 300 million from the budget of 175 million. Um, I must have met, I haven't, I haven't watched this. I don't know why I never got round to watching it, but I'm assuming that some people here in the room have. No, because we'll move on if you haven't. And to those people listening later, of course, we can only comment on films where at least somebody in the room uh, has a, an opinion on that. Okay, well, I'll move on then. Uh, next one is um, 2012. Strangely, from 2009. Uh, this is uh, gets 39%. Uh, cost £200 million to make. And um, this film uh, actually grossed, wow, $769 million, nearly $770 million. So it certainly wasn't a commercial flop. And... Um, it seems strange, almost. Uh, that this is where we're certainly uh, going on what Dar says, that uh, you wonder why these might be included in this list. Maybe technically, 
because of Rotten Tomatoes, it's it no, considered. I, I, no, again, again, I say uh, most of these are critically panned. Critically. The critics hated them. Right. It has nothing to do with box office. Right. Uh, John C- uh, Cusack uh, and Chiwetel. Yay! Did I get that right? Jafar, is that right? I should get it right by now. Amanda Peet. We all like Amanda Peet. And what do I know her from? Um, uh, Sandy Newton uh, from... Uh, oh, yes. Uh, from... Uh, the second, um, oh, Mission Impossible, I think she was in the second Mission Impossible, and lots of other, uh, and Andy Glover, Worry House, and what, what a heck of a cast that is. Um, so um, that that should uh, really have done well. I'm trying to think what I've seen her in there. So any any fans of 2012? I seem to remember uh, that, um, the the controversy I heard about this film was um, I did see the trailer and the trailer looked absolutely spectacular. In fact, I think I have seen it now. I think I have seen it on TV. Uh, they're actually flying in an aeroplane as as the whole world is disintegrating below their feet and cities are collapsing and it was absolutely fabulous in CGI. Um, but I'm not sure that I mean, comes... It's a spectacle popcorn movie. Right. Yeah, I have seen it. I've seen it on TV. I think it's one of these films where you almost needed to see it on a big screen, though. It reminded me too much of When Worlds Collide, a bad remake of When Worlds Collide. Right. Uh, but again, I would think that's quite above this. I mean... Uh, all right, as, as uh, Rick Wall says, it's critical. But, I mean, to me, that, that uh, certainly doesn't be, belong... At, I mean, let's face it, we're only, what, 15 movies in on this list. Uh, let me just check. One, two, three, four. I can't count. We've done about 15 movies down. So, I mean, it just seems strange uh, that... Uh, well, we're, we're doing... T- there's 25 in the list, and there's one, two, three, four... F- only four more to do. So, it's actually at number 20... Um, and this, of course, is going up from the bottom. Anybody else want to speak up for 2012, which I do think, when I think about it now, it was spectacular. There was some um, hair-raising uh, scenes in when they're flying this aeroplane. And then they were all trying to get... It was a li- I, I'm wondering if it was a, the contentious... If And I'm not going to spoil it because I haven't seen it, but it, um, the, the Noah, the, the, the recent film... Um, there's, there's a scene that may be reminiscent of that film because they are battling to get to these these boats, aren't they, in 2012. There's something like six boats, uh, almost like submarine-type boats that um, uh, they had to get a golden ticket to get on. Um, and that was their, their way of uh, hopefully being saved. And that was the sort of impetus for their, their flight from this spectacular disaster. Had rather a spectacular ending. It was kind of involving. I just kind of caught on to it one day, kind of in the middle of it, and the whole way that they were kind of, uh, you know, saving themselves at the end as the entire world is freezing. It was pretty spectacular. But uh, they're known for disaster films and, uh, you know, ID4, not ID4, uh, Independence Day. 
um, etc. Except for the varying films like The Patriot and Anonymous, so it goes against type. But um, you know, pretty impressive. I mean, they have a uh, kind of a nice guest cast and everything on it. It's kind of a grand hotel of disaster film in the Poseidon Adventure uh, template. Uh, pretty good. Okay. Okay. Well, let, let's move on. Speed Racer. I think this film I'm going to mention earlier. Um, this is um, what from 2008 uh, on our list here. 38 percent. Uh, 200 million to produce. Crikey. Um, and that uh, took, oh, now that's not right. Um, according to my wiki page, uh, the cost is um, 120 million, and it only took 94 million at the box office. So let me uh, have a look at those lists. No, it definitely says 200 million on this uh, this uh, chart that we're using. But according to wiki's page, uh, Speed Racer, uh, 120 million. But that may be just the way that they uh, they actually uh, priced that in. And I haven't seen this at all. Um, uh, Christa, Christina Ricci in it, John Goodman, Susan Sarandon, Matthew Fox, uh, Benito Furman, uh, Emile Kirsch is that. Richard Roundtree, blimey. Richard Roundtree, there's a name to conjure with. Wow. I'm hearing a certain theme tune in my uh, in my head at the moment. Go speed racer, go speed racer. <laughs> no, not that one. I'm thinking the Richard Roundtree. Um, uh, the what's the, what's the character he played? Um, oh, Shaft. Shaft. Fantastic film that Shaft. Anyway, we're not talking about that. Uh, any speed racer fans here? Okay, let's move on to a film that I really liked, um, which was uh, Terminator Salvation, 2009, 33%, uh, 200 million in costs. Um, and it, I suppose, poorly for that, raised 371 million, which is still respectable, I suppose. Um, and. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I've said before on record of saying that um, I, I didn't like the fact that they over put this artificial grain on it. I think it was a digital movie, but they put this artificial film grain on it, which to me spoke the fact that I'm going to watch it on uh, on Blu-ray. Um, um, uh, Christian Bale, Sam Worthington starring in this one, of course. And... Um, as I say, I, of, of the Terminator ones, I thought that brought the franchise uh, back, uh, and I thought it was a, a, a successful movie. I'm sure Ken was. If I don't know, if Ken can speak. Ken, Ken loved it. He, yeah, did, I thought he did indeed. And um, Aaron Yelchin, if I'm getting his name right, um, makes an appearance as uh, young Kyle Reese who's going to be so influenced and smitten and uh, give birth to John Connor himself as the lover of uh, Sarah Connor uh, in the first Terminator film. So we're seeding mythology in this film. And even though Christian Bale is John Connor, Sam Worthington steals the movie 
in a very poetic um, I got choked up at the end. I don't know about you, Dave. I mean, I thought it was really, really emotional. And for a movie that had a kind of a high-tech, grainy look, it really had an emotional subtext that was wonderful. I didn't expect it. And I loathed, loathed the third movie, which basically uh, undoes the James Cameron uh, second film and goes, no, we're not going to be able to undo Skynet. Blammo. And it was just all a game. Um, it's kind of like what was done with um, Alien 3, which I despise. Like, take a good director, a Cameron, set up a seed in the film, then uh, have someone come in and just botch the whole thing. I, I almost wish they, they could uh, sue and, uh, you know, dispense with it. This goes back to the mythology that if it's happened, at least it's back on the right track. I thought the third one was kind of a very low-budget uh, misstep, but this was an excellent film. And this, this was the fifth, wasn't it? Because there was the, there was the four, and then this is fifth. Um, ter- yeah, the Terminator, Cameron, the uh, fourth, and I'm not counting Sarah, uh, Sarah Chronicles on TV. But if I if I can think, it's only four films. Uh, okay. Terminator, Terminator, Rise of the Machine. I mean, Terminator Two. Rise of the Machines. Ah, right. That's it. Rise of the Machines, yeah. And then Terminator Chronicles, which kind of shoehorns everything and was unfortunately, uh, you know, cut off as they were going to uh, revamp it. Right. Except on that cliffhanger. Yeah. But agreed, really, really good film. Uh, Helen Bonham Carter was in this one as well, wasn't she? She had an unusual role in this. Oh, yeah, as a doctor. A doctor in it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a little, I thought it had a little bit of a matrix feel to it as well there was a, there was a, there's one part in this one where they're, they're in like um uh, some of the headquarters they use for the uh, the resistance is like a submarine now although it but doesn't everything have a matrix feel i mean after you do the yeah, the hong kong right. wire work i mean everything's going to have that uh, yeah these days. but uh, i remember what, when i watched matrix the first time i kept thinking the way they've got those machines moving you know in the underground i thought those yeah. underground caves must have been filled with water because it's the way the the machines were moving in the matrix they almost seem to be slapping through water but, and if you want to but, go by the whole lawsuit thing and the attitude it all goes back to harlan ellison's soldier and byron ha- byron haskins direction uh and that original Outer Limits episode, uh, uh, Soldier. And I would also say The Man Who Was Never Born as being influences toward Terminator that they had in a um, out-of-court settlement to Harlan Ellison that are on all copies of the first Terminator now, um, acknowledgement to the works of Harlan Ellison, quote-unquote. So, um, and in noted circles, Harlan doesn't talk about it, and James Cameron loathes Harlan Ellison, and hates his guts over it. So that's showbiz. And Harlan well, hates Cameron. Huh? Well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> or, or should I say Uncle Harlan? Yeah, you betcha. Cordwiner. <sighs> okay. Well, let, let's move on. We've got two more, and then we want to actually bring in people who, who would might want to nominate their own uh, options for this. We won't 
perhaps go overly long today, but uh, we, we can do that in a little while. Uh, the next one we've got, uh, just two more on this list. Transformers Revenge of the Fall in 2009. Only 20% with Rotten Tomatoes cost $200 million. Um, and I must have, I haven't seen this one, uh, but that made $836 million. Uh, and I don't know whether people want to talk generally about the Transformer franchise in this. Um, all I remember that there seemed to be a lot of, um, uh, maybe Ian can talk about it a little bit, there was a lot of uh, confusion at the beginning because they weren't having, uh, you know, the voices, were they? I mean, they weren't sticking to the old Transformer, you know, uh, Decepticons and the... Uh, the other way, in the way that they talked. I mean, my son was absolutely berserk about Transformers. Uh, and we had them when the first Transformer models came out that were actually made of metal. And they started bringing them out made of plastic. They weren't as good. But um, uh, Pretty Mike's not on audio. I don't think he can come back on audio, Mike. I thought you had seen Transformers. I can't remember whether you didn't like it, but I thought you had seen it. And I think uh, I, I think I'd rather Jeff... watch the animated uh, Transformers yeah. any day yeah. over any of the live action ones because it's just an um, explosion movie, you know. There's not really uh, a great plot to them. My take on the whole Transformers franchise, if you want to call it that, one big problem. They have yep. the greatest second unit director in the first seat, Michael Bay. The man can make action sequences, make stuff blow up beautifully. You get him to have people act. You have him to make plots and characters. Forget it. Whoever well, thought, whoever thought of putting Michael Bay in the first chair should be executed painfully. Didn't I haven't said that about other directors? What's that? Uh, uh, who's that director? Michael Wu, somebody Wu, who um, uh, they thought all he could do was motorbike crashes and things like that, and then he, James I think, Wall. he directed James Wall. Um, and th- th- and then they gave him big movies and he did some great jobs with it. But wasn't he basically a stunt film director to start with? No, he did stuff in in Hong Kong. Okay, and that and it's a big difference between coming from Hong Kong where you don't have scripts per se right. to Hollywood where you do. Okay. Um, and yes, he was a good director. He was always a first chair, as we call him, or first unit director. Michael Bay was a always a second unit director. He doesn't have to deal with the script. He doesn't have to deal much with actors as a per se. Okay, second unit mostly does action sequences, at least in American t- uh, movies. Okay, 
And, okay. Well, you know, you can't you can't convert. There are the exceptions like wool. Oh, John. Uh, again, thank you. Yeah. I think. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Did I say James? I meant John. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but um, you know. It, it it it's a very hard transition sometimes to go from from doing straight action and and not really working with actors to uh, um, the main chair, the first chair, and uh, you know, uh, hell, I was a writing director. I. The first time I did the first episode I did of Harrow House, I was scared shitless. Sorry, I just raised the uh, the rating on the show. <laughs> yeah, but with a horror film, that, with a horror film, one expects that. No, I mean bub, I was bub, um. like I, I realized that it was a bubble moment. Yes, uh, but um, you know I was like, da, 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 what do I do now? Uh, uh, and uh, thank God I had a good uh, um, crew when they said, hey, look, let's do this. I said, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, you know, and um, uh, I think it came out all right. Um, unfortunately, it was real low budget, so I didn't have great acting. But anywho, enough of my personal thing. But, you know, like I said, um, uh, Michael Bay, uh, anything by him, I me personally steer away from right uh, i'm i'm looking at um, the 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 john woo page uh, i think yeah i remember him from doing things like hard target you know the uh, um the uh, oh, the van damme films but then he started then he got more mainstream ones didn't he, he got face off and um Mission Impossible 2, uh, Wind Talkers, Paycheck. Uh, but at first he was considered an action movie director, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, Rick, one could yes. say about Michael Bay's films, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Exactly. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Okay, well let me let me uh, go on to the last one then X Men, and then uh, we I've got a couple of clips to play while I give people time to think of any uh, you know bad uh, or failed sci-fi movies. Uh, I don't know how much longer Ian's got, but we'll uh, we'll check in with Ian in a moment. Uh, X Men: The Last Stand, 2006. Now this is 75 percent, and again I I don't think that should uh, be on this list when it's over 50 percent. Cost. Uh, 210 million here um, and uh, X-Men Last Stand took uh, 400 almost 460 million um, so again I'm sure well it's actually we're, we're a little bit shy on numbers today but I'm sure quite a lot of our uh, Colton Collective members are uh, fans of these and I should just mention that um, Cybob and Jedi Justice uh, obviously we can't refer back to all the different movies but of, of any of the ones that we've talked about if you 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 quite disagree with the fact that them being this list please uh, please put something in text and we'll we'll try and read it out for you so um, X-Men 
I don't think I don't think this is a bad movie. I just I, I think a lot of people just didn't like how it kind of rounded out the the series. Um, and of course we're gonna we're now gonna have that kind of extended now because it's uh from X Men First Class. Now we've got uh, days. I think they're calling it Days of Future Past. Something not Days of Future Past. Uh, yes. Days of Future yep. Past. So, you know, the the original cast from, you know, the first three movies is, you know, some of them are returning for... for Greatest cast time. ever in any film ever, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, but uh, it wasn't terrible. I can make a comment about this one. Um, most most fans hate it. Uh, Brent Ratner directing. Um, they, were, they were mad that the original director, Brian Singer, didn't go and handle this franchise. He... He left to do the um, ill-fated Superman Returns film, and I, I thought it was rather remarkable if you're if you're not a comic book fan, um, because it violates so many things of Cyclops being the love of Jean Grey, Wolverine is replaced into that in the in the movie universe, X Men movie universe, and also there's important characters dying. What big spoiler alert in the film, but. Um, the use of the Phoenix and Femke Jensen, she's maybe the most interesting in, in any of the series since she did the beloved Xena on a top array because um, she's really kind of formidable, her hair much more streaming and reddish. You know, nothing like the joy in the comic of the Phoenix storyline, but there's some amazing action set pieces in San Francisco, and some great stuff with Ian McKellen as a messianic um, uh, Malcolm X. Magneto. Yeah, no, but kind of very Malcolm X uh, kind of before the epiphany attitude to him when in the rebel uprising. He has some really remarkable speeches and some very good class scenes, and um, it's, it's re- I think it's really a damn good film. Um, I like I liked when he stopped uh, what's-his-name and he goes to pawns to go first. Yeah. But the, the scene where, where, shockingly, spoiler, Professor X is killed, uh, that's a remarkable scene in the house, and it's terrifying, and it kind of makes the movie, you know, all bets are off. What are we getting in the film? We have our little wink-wink and Marvel movie ending, which was, is now, uh, you know, a regular film a regular thing with the Marvel film, uh, so which says that you know Xavier will be back, but throw out this film, basically, because I think it's going to kind of rejig the future and the history, because the way they have the past scenes with Magneto and Xavier, which are the um, kind of pixelized Patrick Stewart and McKellen um, meeting a young Jean Grey, we have a different uh, meeting in the first um, X-Men first class with uh, Fastbinder and Avery. So we've, we've already kind of changed how they meet, and they're very good friends. And I think this X-Men film coming up is going to be the most remarkable thing. If it's paid off, it's, it's going to be gigantic. The cast, the storyline, the, 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 the scope of it, and having the entire cast of everything together, you know, it's going to be unbelievable. I, I don't... It is. They can only fail themselves. Uh, you know, add Peter Dinklage 
with kind of his phenomenon that he is in Game of Thrones and, and all these Academy Award-nominated actors and actresses in this thing, I don't know how their entire budget wasn't just for uh, coffee and scones. So, <laughs> you know, geez. Okay, anybody else want to chime in on that one? Okay, well, look, um, that's that list completed. I don't really want to propose to go on to any of those other pages, but I did put other page links into the room. Uh, what I want to do is, while you um, people perhaps consider at least one or two films that haven't been covered yet that they feel comes under this remit, uh, let me, I've got um, uh, four other uh, films that um, that uh, I, I found that, seem to be coming under this umbrella thing. Uh, the first one is um, called um, The Mortal Instruments City of Bones and this got um, a rating of um, just 12% uh, by Rotten Tomatoes and here's a little uh, trailer of it. Everything you've heard about monsters, about Legends whispered around campfires. All the stories are true. Okay, and that's the um, the the clip. This is to do with uh, Rick Wall. I think I'm getting some noise, Rick Wall, from you. Um, uh, so that only that cost sixty million and took ninety million at the uh, the box office. So say it came out um, in two thousand and. Where's it gone? 2013, last year. 130 minutes long. Um, I'm going to move on because uh, unless anybody's actually uh, seen it and wants to comment on it. Um, no. Now, um, we've actually, when I think about it, we've, we've covered the, um, the... Didn't we cover the host? Let me just uh, refer back to my news. And those people are thinking David's not uh, on the ball. No, that was Zoom. Uh, I'm trying to keep one eye on the golf at the moment, which is explaining a great deal. So the next one is the host from 2013, which got 8% from Rotten Tomatoes. And that um, is a clip of that. Every human has been successfully occupied. We could be taken at any moment. However, there are still pockets of human resistance. They're mobilizing. 
gotta go. And I'll stop it there. This is a plot where the human race has been taken over by a small parasitic aliens called souls. Souls travel to distant planets en masse in individual capsules, inserting themselves individually into a host body of the planet's dominant species. Okay, do you want to go in? Just wandering around there. Is there, is there any, uh, you know, film that you would have said that was a really bad sci-fi that uh, you're surprised that, that we haven't come across on these lists. Remember, I did give uh, quite a lot of lists. If you want, I can read through uh, one of the other lists. Uh, but I'd rather get some input from the people than, right. than just... I mean, I've got to say Batman and Robin. I mean, we've, we've covered it, but it was... It was truly atrocious. Um trying to think of any others and I've been trying to go through these lists too to uh, you know there's uh, one I'm looking at the 50 worst uh, sci-fi fantasy movies that had no excuse um, but yeah come uh, um, well we'll come back around to me but uh, but Darth uh, truly you must have a sci-fi movie that you just think is a complete waste of time you know why did why did they spend the budget on this and and you know what was the point in the end? Um, hmm, that's an interesting. Not really. Um, I mean, I, I recognize failures, but I'm not. A, I'm not a person well, who thinks that a failure is or a critical failure or whatever is is uh, necessarily a bad thing because it helps inform. What's good? Uh, so you can't have really light without dark is my general philosophy. Um, so I don't really... I mean, even Batman... Wasn't Batman and Robin... Didn't you get the Seal soundtrack out of that? Or is that the one before it? I forget. Um, Ooh, I forgot on the time. Kiss from a Rose. Is that from that? Or is that from the one before it? I can't quite remember. But even that I liked because I actually liked George Clooney's interpretation <laughs> Role. I mean, uh, it's not his fault that he had a bad costume, really. Um, and I don't know. I it's there's some things here that make me sad, uh, such as you know whenever I talk a lot about this, the sort of misinformation about Waterworld makes me sad when we get into this sort of area. Um, I Pluto Nash that makes me a little that makes me sad for a great comedian for Eddie Murphy and I'm glad he was able to bounce back from that what must surely be nadir of his career. Um, what about that Golden Child one he was in? That was a, wasn't that a science fiction with him in? It's not hey? science fiction exactly, but that was the Golden it's Child. Fantasy. You're talking about? I, I, I want the no. <laughs> Are you thinking about the? Uh, Coming to America? Like there's a golden child. No, 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 no. There was a golden child one, wasn't there? Where that was called just golden yeah. child. I don't. I don't really. The golden I don't know. golden yeah, child. Yes, it was kind of like uh, a mystic mishmash uh, with the Fan- fantasy one. Yeah. I didn't And very golden. Yeah, I don't know. But there's really nothing that that's you know deeply offend Catwoman. I guess. 
if I really had to, you know, that's only sad just because there actually was something. There's nothing. There's no. There's no interpretation of a DC comic that would allow you to believe that that is a a a viable interpretation of Catwoman on any DC Earth. Uh, whereas Batman and Robin, I think you can argue, you can find an Earth where that's appropriate. Um, but Catwoman, there's nothing there. They just, they destroyed it. They didn't, I, I don't, to this day, I don't understand why they went away from the successful interpretation of Michelle Pfeiffer just because they had Halle Berry in the role. Let, I mean, I, maybe that's the deal, is that Halle Berry didn't want to do a riff on Michelle Pfeiffer, but the the problem is Michelle Pfeiffer nailed it. I mean, so why would you why would you want if you're not prepared to do something like that? Don't take the role. Is what I would say, and, and maybe the mistake was casting Halle Berry. Uh, much as I like her, maybe maybe the, what you really wanted to do was to hire somebody cheap who was new and up and coming, and therefore wouldn't have been you know as it were not pretentious is the wrong word, but not so. I don't know what's the, I don't know what the polite word is, but wouldn't have been so reluctant, let's say, to uh, model your performance on what somebody else had done before. I mean, e- even the great, even Timothy Dalton is modeled to some degree after Sean Connery, e- and certainly that is the case of Daniel Craig. I mean, they're not exactly the same performance, but they have a certain core similarity to them, so that you know you're watching James Bond. Halle Berry, I mean, okay, the only film thing that you have before this is Michelle Pfeiffer, and then you've got, you know, uh, Julian Umar and all those people from um, Eartha Kitt and all those people from the television mm-hmm. series. But that's it. You don't have much of a legacy. Um, I, I just don't understand what would have been so bad for her to have at least modeled if she had even modeled it on Eartha Kitt or Julie Newmar, both of whom are obviously more campy than the Michelle Pfeiffer interpretation and obviously less sexualized so much as sort of kitten playful, um, then that would have been something. But there was just nothing. I mean, there was just nothing of the the essence of Catwoman, and the fact that that has destroyed Catwoman as a franchise because you can't make a film, you can't call it Catwoman now. I mean, it just won't work. Um, you you got to find some other name for it, and that's going to dilute attention. And you've just taken a great name and you've soiled it, and that's the problem with that that's why that's maybe the you know truly disappointing but i mean even so it's instructive even so it tells us you know there are things that you can do with superhero comics and there are things that you can't you can't go so far away from the source material at least somebody's source material and it be good and then you know the difference here you know a modern example of why catwoman is sort of relevant today is you look at man of steel and I, I know that several people in this podcast and, and in other ones that we've done before have uh, sort of said, well, that's not Superman. The thing is, though, it is Superman. It is a, a an interpretation of Superman, a valid one from the comics. Um, and we can quibble over certain scenes that might ha- be in Man of Steel and whether they fit 
Exactly. But the overall thing that is being attempted in Man of Steel is Johnny Burns' Man of Steel. I mean, it is a pretty faithful interpretation of that. Uh, whereas Catwoman ain't nothing. Ain't nothing in the world that that is. I, I, it, I don't even know what it is. I mean, sitting down in front of it, it's so hard to even say, why is this called Catwoman? I mean, at least with Batman and Robin, they are basically Batman and Robin. You know, and Batgirl is basically Batgirl. And certainly, Alfred is really good in that film. You know, that that is a great interpretation. The Michael Goff ba- Alfred probably has no better film than Batman and Robin, to be honest. Well, Darcy, so, I don't think it's the yeah. thing that whether it is a valid interpretation of Superman, whether it is a satisfying interpretation of Superman. Because, yes, it, it is linked into the, the John Byrne Superman, but but I, I think it doesn't take some of the lighter, uh, more comedic and interesting touches, and also the emotional uh, subtext of what followed, the follow-through of the Burn Superman, which led to years and years in the comic for one action, similar to Man of Steel, um, which got a big retribution in, in the comic and led to the entire uh, oath to not kill. So, you know, which, which is not saying that's not going to happen in future movies, but I think it's more a tonal uh, statement rather than what's there, it's what, what isn't there. Mm, no. I mean, again, you can quibble on certain scenes and how, how successfully the, the attempt is made. I think for me, the thing is, there's no justification for Catwoman turning out the way. Oh, you're made. right. But, I but mean, my there, whole thing with Man of Steel no, was just, except for the final scene, maybe an utter lack of joy. They might have a lot of the John I, Byrne I, I, epic qualities. No, no, no. See, I read that in John Byrne. John Byrne is my least favorite interpretation of Superman. I don't like, I don't and, like either, but, but there's, there's more, at least you have LexCorp and you have the flirtation of, uh, of Lois and then you have a lot of the, the Jack Kirby challenges of the unknown, the, the Newsboy Legion and, and that whole uh, stuff coming into that. So it's that kind of a mishmash going in there. Not saying there are not some really epic, interesting things in Man of Steel, but it's just kind of like some mind-blowing, stupid things, plot-wise, that you go, well, John Byrne in, in his worst day wouldn't have put it in there. You know, back in back in his Rom Space Night days or whatever. You know, but, <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that's, that's, my, that's my thing on it. That that made that the film not wasn't satisfying to me. I wanted to love it. My I always want to love film, and I love Superman. I love the character. But I watched the movie once, and I said that's really neat. And then I'm sitting there like a bad Chinese dinner, and going, no, it wasn't neat. And I don't want Chris Reeve again. I don't want the Superman Returns debacle of somebody else trying to be Chris Reeve. I would have rather had a retro film with Bruce Campbell as Superman, all Max Fleischery, you know, uh, and doing stuff and do something different with it. You know, I, uh, I looked at the beginning of Man of Steel, the whole Kryptonian sequence, and I'm getting Avatar from it, which I know is a John Byrne thing, you know, too. And, you know, Zod doesn't have the kind of wonderful charm that uh, Terrence Stamp had. I'm not saying he has to, but there was, there was no panache to his villainy. There, there, there was there was there was nothing. It was just kind of, I'm here, 
and I'm going to use the Genesis device on Earth, in essence. So, so we're getting uh, we're getting Star Trek Star Trek two riffs in the film. It was just you know a lot of charm. I mean, she's a wonderful Lois, and Lawrence Fishburne, I think, is just what a remarkable choice for for Perry White. You couldn't get better. You know, Fishburne's fantastic, and I think Cavell maybe is the most striking looking uh, person ever cast for the template of Superman. I mean, that is kind of an embodiment of a god. You know, they're they're looking, but but all in all, you watch it and you're seeing it, and you go, okay, where's the sense of wonder? I see the sense of destruction, but I but I I'm not seeing this kind of breathtaking joy in his powers and the kind of wonderment. I mean, look at the Superman animated series and the one with Supergirl, and she's learning to fly, and the the, the Kansas weed is flowing in Mark Kent, and it's just this kind of unbridled joy there when she's like flying with a bird, and it, and there, there was none of that. It's like I, I, this, the flying scenes were just epic, and the battle scenes were remarkable, but you know where was that sense of there's a God on Earth and He can fly, and how wonderful and how life-affirming. No, it was destruction. Destruction and destruction. And it seemed, without a life-saving epiphany, it, it was the act at the end, which I had no problem, and it's a be spoiler, people seeing where Superman kills. If he did it, and it saved everyone before they all got killed, in the Superman comic, the Kryptonian villains that Superman kills using gold kryptonite no, where he's judged jury and executioner and has no choice. They will destroy everyone. He has no choice. But the, the small cadre of people at the end, it's like millions have died already in Metropolis and Smallville. Why didn't, if you had the ability, you put down these, these things where you had the chance, you do it for one family, take him out of the out of space, freeze him, lobotomize him, there's other ways. They they made it too simple. They stack the deck. All you can do is break his neck. You know, there's more than you can do. Just like the mind-boggling stupidity of Kevin Costner's Pa Kent dying because Superboy or the young man doesn't want to reveal his identity. How insane. I would read a million comic books, and he would, like, fell a tree or use his, his, his super speed or, or a puff of his breath or make something, or have a splash of water go in and move everyone, to just say, I'm going to sacrifice for this. And then you go back to the the uh, Donner film, and you have that John Ford majesty and sadness when Glenn Ford dies, and he's there with, uh, talking to like the image of God slash Jor-El, saying, with all my powers, I couldn't even save my father. What good is it? But it's, 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 it's so Gethsemane. It, it, you know, and... To not have that, a lot of the lines in Man of Steel are just like direct rip-offs of the Donner Superman without the poetry. The beauty of Brando there in the beginning, saying about how his life will be replicated in his son. It's just joyful. And, and there's a lot of the first Superman, when they get to Metropolis, is hokey comic booky, but it pays off because of Gene Hackman's panache with the role. Not, in, not until Smallville did we get a viable... Lex Luthor of great power and menace and ruthlessness necessary to someone that can be president of the United States, ruler of LexCorp, and in his mind, the savior of the earth. Who the hell is this Superman? Luthor stands for earth, 
not for alien interlopers. So Luther, in his mind, is the hero. Superman is the villain. And that is a great dichotomy in the comics now, that it's, it's like the Moriarty, you know, with Holmes. They need each other. It's like the grand villainy of all time. It's something mythic. It's almost something Jungian, carrying out, like, through history. That's the whole thing. And I think that was sorely lacking in Man of Steel. And I am with Darth in my utter love with some reservations of the third one of the Nolan trilogy. I frigging oh, yeah. me love uh, it. Uh, no, yeah, that was good. Uh, let me just move you on, unless Darth wants to respond to that. Uh, yeah, I respond to that because I think the, the you know that's that's all well and good. I understand the passion behind that. That's fine. But the thing about it is, we all know that this film was made under the gun because if it didn't come out. Warner Brothers would lose the right to make Superman films. So as a bridge to continue making Superman films, given the time limitations on the film, I thought it was damn good. I mean, I take all your points on board and say... I can agree with you on that, too. You know, it's not... I will say, I disagree with you about the Brando. I I actually like the Russell Crowe better. I thought that the... Oh, I didn't get the Russell. Russell was wonderful. I, I didn't I think mention him. I, to me, he, he he to me he is more definitional as Jor El, and he's better. Cohen. He's a better hero than Superman. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I love Russell Lane as a Rob. I get mad at people ragging on him. I love Russell Crowe. I don't fault mm-hmm. him in anything. I think so. You know, there you go. Yeah, but I mean, I I, th- I think you're right. I think that it it could have used another path uh, on the script to to find. Especially the issue of the pocket thing is kind of, I mean, on the one hand, it's affecting in the moment. I think your analogy of the bad Chinese dinner is quite uh, an eloquent one, uh, because that's that is what it's like in the moment when you're watching it in the theater. And I get it; you didn't necessarily watch it in the theater, but when I was watching it in the theater, I was like, uh, "Oh, did I watch it in the theater? Whatever." The first time I watched it, um, I was like, oh, "That." That actually works. I mean, that that's an interesting new idea of how to how to do the pocket death. And then when you think about it later, after you've consumed the film, you're like, oh, that doesn't work. No, of course that doesn't work. And there's so many other th- unless exactly what unless happened. you're gonna uh, it, it would work. I tell you where that would work. That would work if it happened in Smallville season one. If you would clearly define that he doesn't know all of his powers yet, and so therefore breath isn't active for him, Good. heat vision isn't active for him, the only thing he's got is strength and speed, then you can think, I, I get why that would happen. But well, I don't know that it's you know, clearly delineated in the film that he's you know without all his other powers yet. You know what got me too? We didn't get mm-hmm. to love Pa Kent. We just saw him leave. If we knew the guy the way we do on Smallville, and the way we do in the Superman movie, and then you have this, then it's then it's so tragic. We 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 don't really get the loving family. We get little glimpses later with Ma and all this, but we don't get how Kansas influences the man. We get more how Krypton influences the man. You know, even though there's some of those lines. That's Man of Steel, though. That's Man, and of, man Steel. of Steel. Man of Steel. You watch Smallville, and it's like, you know, Superman's the other person. This is clear. No, no, I mean that's Man of Steel, Johnny Byrne. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Judge I mean that, that's the, that oh, yeah. is the clear yeah, the, difference the, the genetic, between the, Oh, the whole the whole riff in the beginning is totally burned with a different yeah. look. Oh, 
It's, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. right out of their matrix chambers and the All whole right. thing of the earth. And oh, it, it's 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 right there. It's maybe that's the fault too. It is exactly copying. And the only reason that John Byrne was given it is to give the finger to Marvel. You know, we got him. We got the X Men man. Yeah. You know. China, yeah. But and and the other thing, the other difference in the way that Johnny Byrne tells the story as the way as opposed to the way that it was told, like in the seventies, especially um, the Kurt Swan. Uh, yeah, Kurt Swan. The, the the main difference, at least to me, is in Kurt Swan, you've got definitely Kansas is influential, and then if you want to take care of Krypton, then you go to read World of Krypton or whatever. But basically, it's oh, all about Kansas. Speaking about Swan, um, I got to interject. Greatest Superman story ever, Alan Moore's um, The Man from Tomorrow, which is Alan Moore and Kurt Swan, that just defines Superman, past, present, and future, was done right before John Byrne took over. But it's not canon, so who, I mean, you know, it's it's all well to tell all imaginary stories, quote, unquote, wink, wink. Come on, come on. I mean, it's fine, it's all well and good. It's canon anymore in the multiverse. It, it, no, no, not that though. Canon, not whatever that. they want. N- no, not really. Not not something that is specifically is canon at the moment. They'll change that in a year or two. That's they fine, but the I thing about man, tomorrow is it was said to be imaginary. If it's imaginary, it's not canon at all. No, it's but not it, any it, it, it's not it, any it, of the earths. It, this it could be just an imaginary story. Wink, aren't they all? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 absolutely, sure. Yeah, and that's the, and that is the great joy of the DC universe, and that's why it makes it you know easy to go from DC to Doctor Who because you know you don't care Doctor Who that there's not a canon if you came from DC because you know who knows hell knows what's going on in DC anyway. Oh, speaking uh, about but, multiverse, and this is just thrown out, I would love a Michael Moorcock Eternal Champion Doctor Who crossover, Lords of Gallifrey and the Lords of Chaos. I would want that so much. Michael Moorcock, are you listening? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But, but I mean, no, the, I mean, the central difference between, you know, the way Kurt Swan's telling the story, the way John Byrne's telling the story, and therefore the difference between, is this, effectively, Christopher Reeve and, um, who the hell are we at now? Oh, Cavill. Is um, that, uh, you know, you got Kansas emphasized on the, not exactly original telling, but on the 70s retelling, and, Krypton is emphasized on the uh, the Johnny Burns slash man. But know, I, I got to give the nod to the. And then wait, wait, wait let me finish. And then where 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 Clark gets his humanity is not from Kansas. It's from Lois. It's from okay, Metropolis. It's from Perry. It's from it's from Jimmy Olsen. It's from it's from the office is where he gets his humanity, and that is what I see DC doing now, and I'm fine with that, and that's why I think. This is an unfinished story. This is like judging Superman 1 without seeing Superman 2. The unfortunate difference is, of course, that Superman 2 is also going to be a Batman film and a Wonder Woman film. Yeah. But that might not. Be, but that's not necessarily unfortunate because that's a lot of what uh, defines Superman now is his relationship in the triad. You know, so... Okay, I'm jumping up and doing that first. Let me say something. Please uh, let me go back for a minute. Um, the, the writers in the comic who really, really followed the whole thing were... Uh, you know, Marv Wolfman and, and Elliot Magan, who were just orchestrating the thing. But my favorite scene in Man of Steel, and you pinpointed it, Darth, is the very end, where we first see Clark Kent now, reporter for the Daily Planet, being introduced by Perry White, and then he sees Lois, who he knows in every aspect of, of, of the world word about who he is really, 
and she shakes his hand and goes, welcome to the planet. Big, goofy grin on my face. Right. And, right. I, and you exactly. could see the line, dot, 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 and so it begins. And mm. it's like, now we'll get Superman. Now we'll get the legend. Now the myth will be incorporated wow. into the chaos. That reminds yeah. me of like, like Daniel Craig playing his first James Bond role, where they, huh? they only, where he only says who he is right on the steps after killing Mr. Right. White. And you're leaping up and down because it's just like, all right, there he is, all right, all right, all right. Like, yeah. That's exactly what they're taking from. That is the structure. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, right. it's it's it's. Uh, well, we I don't want to move you on too much, but the, 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 one of the other clips, I won't play it because of time restrictions now, but uh, one of the, on one of the lists, Superman 4 came in for a lot of stick uh, as a flop. Uh, budget 17 million, only made 15 and a half million. Uh, I mean, where does, is Superman 4 perhaps the weakest of the Superman ones? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, God, I think I think three and four are just built. Yeah, I, I would disagree with that. I would think the third film was absolutely the weakest. Oh, but I mean, who cannot think about? I've thought about this so many times since then. If only I could shave off half a penny, I would make so much money. I mean, yeah. it's a great. It it, it it honestly that scheme is a great Superman plot from like the. 1950s. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that is like a that is a standard issue, like prankster plot, the the or or toy man plot or whatever. The problem I have with that film is not that it has Richard Pryor, not that it's a little hokey at the end, not you know it's got a lot, it's got Lana Lang in it, it's you know it's got a lot of cool stuff that's going on in it. The problem is that it's just Richard Pryor, as Richard Pryor, being Richard Pryor in a film that stars Richard Pryor. I would rather it have been Richard Pryor actually playing the prankster, playing the toy man, um, in, in kind of the way, the satisfying way that they've done that on later seasons of Smallville, where it's not some dude dressed up in a costume. It's just a dude who's kind of, you know, a little bit off in the head, but otherwise kind of normal, working a nine-to-five job, kind of, you know, whatever, a little cracked in the head. Um like that's because that effectively is what it is. It is effectively the prankster, maybe the toy man. I'm not the difference between those two is a, is is slight really, but like, prankster probably would make more sense. Um, but don't call him that. You know, they never did that in Smallville. I don't think they ever called the toy man the toy man. They always went by his actual real name the whole time, and that's that's how you do it. It's just the the thing that disturbed me about that film was just that they they missed the opportunity to tie Richard Pryor into a real character or an existing character rather from the Superman universe and there you go. I mean and the other thing that's obviously a little weird about that film is that it's directed by Tao who's the guy who directed help. Um uh, Richard Lester. It's a Richard Lester film. Richard Richard Lester, yeah. Yeah. And that's not quite. I mean, I know he did half of two um, because Donner had already got half of it in the can, or maybe more than half of it in the can, or whatever. So, it, it, somehow that his his influence doesn't feel bad in 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 two because there's enough done by Richard Donner that there's a commonality of you know visual expression there. 
But three is 100% Lester, and it's just the wrong tone. Richard Lester should be directing, you know, Batman from the 60s. He should be directing Adam West is who he should be directing, not Christopher Reeve. And it just, you know, that, that part of it's a little bit screwed up and and all. But it's not horrible. It's not... It's, it's Four is okay. I mean, it's... It's an honest attempt. It's Christopher Reeve actually trying to make some sort of statement in the world. It's not horrible. It's just really not good. There's no emotion in four is the real problem. Not like there is in one or two. And right. and I mean to be fair though, three and four are both hampered by the fact that you've already kind of expended your emotional energy. Right. I mean, I never understood that about the Richard Donner thing, because Richard Donner was kind of being very selfish with his storytelling in a way by saying that he was going to make going to do the whole Lois and Clark thing to its completion. Right. I mean, to its actual completion, if you know what I mean, you know, in on a heart shaped bed in Niagara Falls. Um, and because that's all gone by the time you, you get to the start of three, you barely have th- Margot Kidder in it, you know? And and so now you have to go back to Lana Lang and you introduce her and, you know, you don't have, you're missing in three and four, the emotional angst. And if you take a Lois, honestly, you can't take Lois Lane out of a Superman film. You just, you can't do that because he's, she's his anchor and you need to have the to and fro. It is, it is, Ultimately, the story of Superman is always, always about Superman and Lois Lane. And if you don't have the Lois Lane equivalent, why is it even there? And I mean, this is something that is even you see in the DC animated films of late where they, you know, you have Superman as a part of a team, even though it's Superman and Batman and the whole rest of the Justice League and everything and in a number of different films that have come out lately. You always still cast Lois Lane for one scene, just one scene. You got to have her in there. If, if if you're lucky, you have her there for two or three scenes, whatever. But it's still very important to have her around because effectively, you know, she is Robin. I mean, a much better Robin, obviously, but she she is as important. I mean, she's more important to Superman than Robin is to Batman. Much more important. Mm. She, she's. You don't understand why Superman is super unless you got the reporter there telling you why he's super. I mean, that's just. You just need her. So, and Gaina Delaney is a wonderful, wonderful uh, Lois Lane in the anime yeah, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's written very well too. You know, uh, to be fair to the, the writing staff, because it's it's pretty. You know, Tim and all his people are great. Yeah. But um, yeah, you just need to have you need to have Lois Lane in there, and you know, because Margot Kidder either refused to be in or was written out a little bit or whatever the whole story was behind all of that. It, those films just don't work as well as the first two. Okay. Uh, let, let, let me just bring that to an end, if I may, because I know Ian's got pressure of time now. I'm going to play uh, a final clip of a more modern, uh, or more recent film that uh, is considered by some to have been a failure. And then Ian may want to take over and go around the room. Uh, but the one that, uh, seems to be the most recent uh, flop, as it were, our disappointment, is uh, After Earth. So just play part of this clip because it's a little long.
crash landed. Two confirmed survivors. there and of course uh, with the title there it's no spoiler to say that it is Earth of course Will Smith with his son in it um, I haven't seen it um, and I must admit one of the things about uh, uh, doing all these clips and listening to all and watching all these trailers the films always seem good from the trailers but I suppose you've got a two hour film if you can't make a two minute trailer that picks the best bits out then you're in trouble uh, 130 million um, budget took uh, uh, currently is taking 243 million um, have, oh yeah 11% rating that got with uh, Rotten Tomatoes 11% uh, let me just mention a couple of others that we didn't get around to um, Kick-Ass 2 got 29% uh, the remake of Carrie got 49% uh, Hansel and Gretel, I can't remember whether they mentioned that, 15%. Um, and then a couple of films like The 13th Warrior, uh, Stealth, John Carter. Um, and I think that's all the ones that I was going to mention. But uh, we have taken a lot of time. So, Ian, do you want to go around the room and see if anybody wants to actually pick the bones out of any of those, including After Earth? I yourself included. Um. Jeff, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Um, any, any, anything to add on any of those ones that they've shot in? Or do you well, have I your do. own nominee? Well, I have two others. Uh, I have a couple. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go on, Ken. Just give me a minute. Go on, Jeff. I just have a couple others that I don't think were mentioned uh, at all today. Um, they're both remakes. Uh, they're both forgettable and very weak, I thought. Uh, the, the Day the Earth Stood Still with mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves and War of the Worlds, the Tom Cruise remake. Oh, yeah. It was just terrible movies, I thought. It was one of those that you said you had a clip of. I thought you said you had a clip earlier. I was, oh, no, that was I, the I joke I, clip at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with yeah. You now. Picking on you, Dave. Uh, as usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to agree with the Daily Earth, but still, I'd still watch the first, the original. Over, yeah, oh, the first one's a classic. And both both, yeah. both originals are classic, just great yeah. films, and didn't have to be remade. And these attempts were just terrible. Well, yeah. I didn't think it was that bad, uh, the, the new... It certainly wasn't a classic, uh, but I didn't think it was too bad. But on the other hand, um, uh, you know, I... I uh, some of it were was silly. Right. But that's yeah, all I uh, Yeah, the War of the Worlds, not good either. Yeah. I barely remember the film. It was that bad. <laughs> I'm trying to erase it from my memory. Yep. Um, I apologize, Jeff. Oh, no, no, don't hold a pause. Oh, no, I'm interrupting you. I didn't, I didn't mean to. You're oh, fine, no, Ken. No, no, it's Ken's turn. Oh, okay. 
Um, now, wait a minute. Now I got to. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> go, go ahead, Ken. Go ahead, Ken. <laughs> no, you know you're serious. I didn't have anything. Tra- go ahead. Tra- okay. 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 Give me a kiss. The couple you mentioned. Thirteenth Warrior is a really neat film with Ontario Banderas. It's Michael Crichton's The Eaters of the Dead. It's Vikings uh, meet demon hordes, and with, with a great Arab warrior joining them. So it's a really strange, interesting uh, kind of sword and sorcery mythic um, horror film. So it, it's it's really nifty. I, I caught that. The Eaters of the Dead, very good, late Michael Crichton book, and. What was the other one they mentioned there in the bottom? Um, let me just refer back to it. Um, Hansel and Gretel, Stealth, John Carter. John Carter was uh, a kind of a great mistake. Uh, well, the great template for the superhero, you know, one could say, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, magnificent series, a rather nifty film, although the biggest mistake... They didn't take. They didn't call it of Mars, and also the director did not want to emulate Frank Frazetta or the fantasy template or glorious colors, because he said it's been done before, and he do, and he wanted to ignore the whole Frazetta look. So you had a washed-out kind of dull-looking adventure film, rather than something like Avatar or Lawrence of Arabia, which is a wash with color and wonder and all of that. You know, it's like doing, it's like keeping black and white in Wizard of Oz. But my nomination for Stinkeroo is the ubiquitous, to quote a sage, um, Battlefield Earth. John Travolta's Ode to Scientology and Science Fiction. Less said about it, the better. But I remember that one as being really bad. Yeah, indeed. We mentioned that before, yeah. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, that's okay. No, because uh, we know you were in and out and up and down and running around. I got double-double and uh, animal style. There you go. Yeah. Right, Dave, actually, it's your turn. Uh, well, no, I think that's uh, that's me pretty much done. Um uh, I mean, uh, on the list I came across was Sahara, but I didn't even actually think that was a, a fantasy story. That was a, the only film recently I've not been able to actually... I bought the DVD, and I wasn't even able to finish watching it. It was so blooming silly. Um, but as I say, some of those uh, films that sounded quite good. There was uh, there was one called um, R.I.P.D., which is uh, Rest in Police Detectives or something, Got thirty <laughs> percent. Actually, watching the trailer of that, I almost thought I'd, I'd quite like to watch that. Uh, and there's a there's a, the upside down one that seems strange. That was where there are two parallel worlds, but they're so almost so close that they can touch. And literally, one half is upside down to the other. But I think that's sort of a more of a love story one. Um, another one mentioned in these things. I don't know why it was mentioned, because it's not science fiction, was uh, The Lone Ranger. But going to that last link that I put into the room, um, which is um, uh, from Cracked.com, let me read quickly what they've got there. They've got Waterworld Jurassic Park 3 as being, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, the, the franchise dropping down a bit. Eon Flux, I actually quite like Eon Flux. Uh, the Sound of Thunder, War of the Worlds, The Cell. Now, that's The Cell's Jennifer Lopez one, isn't it? 
Uh, I thought that was a bit weird and a bit hard to stomach, but I wouldn't say it was that. Uh, signs, stroke, the happenings. They've got Star Trek the motion picture. I don't know why they've got that there. And the other one they've got is Indiana and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I suppose mm. that's because of um, uh, slightly alien nature in that one. Then they've got Where Avatar. Right. Avatar, uh, Spider-Men and X-Men 3. And uh, they've also got Plan 9 from Outer Space, Ken, which you'll know of. That's a guilty pleasure. That's so bad it's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pull the strings. Pull the strings. Well, leaves Darth, I think, Ian. No, we already did Darth. Darth was my first. Yep. Okay. The room gone round. I don't know if anybody uh, had put anything into the text chat for us to mention. Uh... Oh, uh, NC Visitor, I just watched it, and this is talking about battle, uh, Battlefield um, um, Battlefield Earth. I just watched it for the first time because of my interest in Scientology. hope those guys don't really exist. <laughs> yeah, very strange. Uh, once you start going on set wearing nasal plugs, it puts you off for a start, I think. All right. Um, well, that about wraps what, 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 I was what? just going to take this opportunity of giving people a little bit more advanced warning of upcoming topics. Uh, <laughs> next next week we're doing 10 weirdest Marvel movies that all Moz got made. Uh, in two weeks, uh, I want to give a, a shout out because we want to do season one of House of Cards. So if you're watching it on Netflix, you've got some time to finish off uh, season one of House of Cards. And then the week after that, which is the 4th of May, uh, we've got The Clone Wars, which, again, some people are watching on Netflix. So that's giving you... Uh, it's not so much for next week's topic, which is a list of eight, but in two weeks, House of Cards. Uh, in three weeks, The Clone Wars. So you can, uh, you know, get check, uh, watching those programs. Um, I guess I have to ask, and this is probably good for, for anybody who's just started watching... Um, uh, Star Wars: Clone Wars on on Netflix, uh, and I'll ask this of of of, uh, of Darth: um, Will we have need to have seen it all to be on the show? Because I'm part way through, and I want to know whether I should, you know, make sure I get it all done before we have the show, so I don't get spoiled, or is it possible to go around it without spoiling too much? You talk about, is the show going to be about just season five? About the entire. Well, I, is it going to be well, it's, 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 it's or what, just the most recent stuff? That's if you think that's too, if you think the whole thing's too much to bite off, I'm, I mean, we'll take your guidance on that. If you feel it's, I mean, if it, there's the the original movie one, yeah. isn't there? And then what, four, five seasons? I mean, there's no way I, I've got I've got the original movie, but I, I, on the other hand, I'm not bothered about being spoiled about it either. So. Um, I, I mean, it, it entirely depends upon what, what we're talking about. If we're really just talking about the new stuff that has come out on Netflix, uh, what I would say is absolutely not. Uh, as long as you have seen episode three of Star Wars, the, you know, uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, yeah. then then you're fine. 
uh, because that's what it's really about. It is, it is the most most tightly integrated stuff with the uh, episode three that they put out, um, and the storylines in it are they pretty much just tell you what happens and why things happen the way they happen in episode three. There's not that much that actually goes back to um, mythos that's been established in the Clone Wars. But now, if you're talking about season... No, I totally forgot what season we're on. Season five, whatever the last full season was that was on uh, Cartoon Network. Uh, If that's what we're going to be talking about, then yeah, you would need to know stuff about... Yeah, season four. Season four, thank you, because we're on season five. Yeah. Um, the yeah stuff in season four, I think, it heavily depends upon Most knowing important. the mythos that has been uh, developed within the Clone Wars itself. But there's there's really nothing in this current season that I can think of that you would need to have any real knowledge of the Clone Wars itself. Yeah. No. So, I mean, I I would be happy just talking about these most recent episodes, and and then, you know, the only thing you're talking about is spoiling a, a film from 2005. I don't know. Okay. Well, and, well anyway, we we we've got to, that's not for two weeks, so we can perhaps discuss it a bit off off recording next week. Yeah. Yeah. That's not exactly how we're going to tackle this. Yep. All right. But until then. As long as Dave doesn't uh, um, interrupt me again. <laughs> Until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. Poor! Oh, sorry, I just hit the gold pole in the wrong direction. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. Wrong one. This one. <laughs> <laughs> That was a deliberate mistake because Dave only had one mistake this show, so we had to shoehorn in another one. Bye! (laughs) Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.